This is Annihilation. We bought a mic. We met a god. Hello. I gotta say, that was one of our worst intros. <laughs> I think we say that every week. I feel like we're getting worse. We should be perfecting our art. We're and... running out of genres. <laughs> If you guys have any genre suggestions, just uh, hit us up with those. I'll just I'll bring the electric guitar out next week, and we'll do some yeah some effects, some, some death metal. Shit. Yeah, exactly. There we go. We haven't gotten into that. Welcome to the show. We bought a mic, episode twenty five. Oh man, oh we can, man, we can rent a car now. Yeah, you have to be twenty five. Quarter that, right? quarter life crisis. Mm. I actually bought a motorcycle on my way over here, so that makes sense. <laughs> Pierce wow. your ears. Yeah, I am Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. I'm at Drew Dietzen. <laughs> hey, at. I'm not a... Yeah. <laughs> Drew's a meme now. I'm not a fucking person anymore. Don't don't address me as a human. Yeah, we uh, we got a pretty pretty good ebb for you guys today. I'm really excited to review the new mm-hmm. Alex Garland film, Annihilation. I used to be a human, but now I don't know anymore. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> um, okay. Am, am, I, am I Drew... Were you, Drew? I used to be Oscar Isaac, <laughs> but now I have a southern accent. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we're also going to talk about Alex Garland's other film, Ex Machina. Um, I'm really excited to talk about that movie with you guys. Yeah, yeah. good movie. And some other things that we've been watching. Um, but before we get to that, some news. I just want to... I don't want to get too wrapped up in another Black Panther conversation, but I do want to touch on the insane box office that it's been doing like this movie i kind of feel sorry for annihilation a little bit because <laughs> i don't think anyone is gonna see it because black panther is so fucking massive yes right but now. to that point annihilation is coming on to netflix in like two weeks so at this point i feel like two almost weeks? not here no not in the oh, u.s it's not in the u.s because no. i saw it as well i mean at this point everybody can just like go and use netflix in a different country oh yeah well they've been different... putting they've been putting locks on that but regardless, yeah, Black Panther's already estimated at $320 million. It's already the highest grossing film of the year. Yeah, well, easily. of course. It's already, I think the production budget was, what, 200 $250 million? Yeah, more on the 200 side. Yeah, like, I figure it was lower budget. Yeah, because of a, the, the uh, cast, um, sadly, the this diverse cast doesn't get paid as much as Robert Downey Jr. and Scarlett oh. Johansson. And well, the rough. Well, they don't have to pay for uh, breaking them out of rehab like they do with RDJ. Yeah, yeah, with RDJ, you gotta <laughs> you gotta pay for like his own little dome where he's you know there's no alcohol or drugs. Yeah, and there's like magical animals. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is good. Uh, there's I read a good article about how like historically there's been kind of like whisperings. There's been a, a trope among filmmakers that like black stories don't travel. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like that won't sell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it's good, but like nobody will see. We're not it. gonna watch it. So like, I mean, we've sh- it's been shown over and over. Like, Get Out worked incredibly. Hidden Figures worked. All these movies are working now, and this is just the you know the cherry on top where it's like, okay, these you know 
there, there's not going to be any hangups anymore yeah. and, with making these and movies. To that, and to that point about black movies don't travel, domestically it's at $320 million. Foreign, it's already at $228 million. So mm. it's already at $548 million. Jesus. Yeah. They're... Like, it's, this movie is probably going to make a billion dollars. Easily. Like, yeah. Easily. I'm excited for it. I mean, you know, we, we talked a lot about the movie itself last week but we also touched on like the cultural impact of it and i think that's the most important thing about this movie is we can we can touch on all of these nitpicks all of these things that don't work in the film um structurally and story-wise but i think all of that is overshadowed by how big of a deal this is to American culture to black culture to the progression of our society as it's reflected in Hollywood it really it is something that we can very easily take for granted that pretty much everyone in movies looks like us yeah it's just a thing where we don't even think about it and for a whole subset of the population they're like well I have no idea what you're talking about when you say that so it is it's a huge deal like it I, you know, I, I can't even have, like, I'm not qualified to have the complex feelings about it or anything, obviously, but I can just see how this would have more of an impact on, like, you know, that subset of the population than any movie could have on, <laughs> like, yeah. any of us. I mean, it gives people, it gives, like, young black, young African-American children like a role model who looks like them. They have their own superhero that isn't just like trying to envision themselves as another white guy with a mask on. Like they actually have somebody who looks like them and that's really special. And even the women in this movie are extremely empowering to black women for like, I mean, the Denai Guerrero's character is the mo- one of the most badass characters I've ever seen on screen. Like, she is such a badass. Make her the fucking Black Panther. Yeah. Like, <laughs> also, Lupita. Like, yeah, Lupita, Lupita gets is... to be a spy in this movie. Yeah, it's awesome. That's amazing. You know, and that has absolutely nothing to do with her being black. Like, that whole James Bond spy sequence of the film, that has nothing to do with anyone in the movie being African or black. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that about it. And, and we need mo- more movies like that. Like, hopefully Black Panther 2 will be a whole movie about that just that just call it panther (laughs) (laughs) this is my character guy who doesn't get it (laughs) just call it panther not my panther all right a little bit more of uh news here uh we are gonna get more into next week once we actually do our final oscar predictions Mm -hmm. but we're starting to get into the thick of it we're trying to catch up on all these oscar nominated films and we're gonna uh try to do a little bit of preliminary predictions because it's getting down to the wire, and uh, we're not quite done yet, so next week we'll, we'll put out an, an Oscar-heavy prediction episode, but let's, let's talk a little bit about what we're thinking or some of the sure, more concrete predictions, and then maybe we can get into a, things that are like might flip-flop mm. between now and, and next Sunday. Okay, well, I mean, I feel like whenever uh, we're going to do these predictions, I'm going to make a list of things that I think are going to win and things that I'm rooting for. Um, I think that as far as lead actor and lead actress, those are kind of chalk at this point. That it's going to Gary Oldman and Francis McDormand, Mm -hmm. which we'll get into it whenever we start talking about what we've been watching. But I had the chance to see Darkest Hour this past week, and Gary Oldman is very deserving of this award. He is extremely deserving. It is... I think the best male performance of the year. 
Second right. to maybe Robert Pattinson, but uh-huh. good times never get get any kind of love. No. So yeah, um, well that's good to hear that at least he's deserving of it because I'm probably not going to see Darkest Hour. Well, I'll, you know I'll try to. I don't want to say that yet. But what I'm going to do also is fill out two different ballots: one for w- what I think is going to happen, and one for what I want to yeah. happen. Yeah, I mean I'll I'll just make little tiny notes on yeah. mine because I I'm going to make a sure one for every one because we're gonna lock it down for our our pool we should i mean we've already said we're going to do a little bit of a gambling on this i think that we should have just a podcast gambling where kind of like summer movie wager style whoever make the whoever doesn't make whoever like doesn't win have to watch something that the winner yeah the two the two the one the one that gets the most the most points out of the three of us okay i can't wait to make you guys watch only god forgives my god goldie okay Okay. well um yeah so we have gary oldman and francis mcdorn pretty much a lock for the two lead acting i mean for those two the only ones i could see sneaking up behind him are maybe timothy chalamet and or ddl or Sorsha Ronan. I would love if yeah. she did win. It doesn't. She looks. She seems like she's kind of in second place right now. Honestly, yeah. I could also see Sally Hawkins sneaking in there. I don't. I don't I love really Sally see Sally Hawkins as much. I mean, I would love to see it, um, but I still, despite all of the issues I have with three billboards, I still think Frances McDormand gave the best female yeah, performance yeah. in a movie this and year. And then for the supporting ones, sadly, it looks like Sam Rockwell is a lock. But I'm. I think I'm going to put my money on Defoe. I, I was going to say. I already know that's going to be one of the dark horse picks that I'm going to make, just because I'm. I mean, I think that Rockwell is going to win, but I just I'm really hoping that Harrelson and Rockwell split votes and Defoe yeah. will come out on I, top. Yeah, I I want Florida Project to get something. It's the one nomination it has. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Like fuck that. That's that's trash. Yeah. Sean Baker deserved best director nomination and it, best and, picture and best cinematography. It, it should have gotten all It deserved that. Best Picture, yeah. 100%. Definitely. Above the post, definitely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think Richard Jenkins has a chance, and I don't think Christopher Last Minute Plumber has a chance either. <laughs> Is he a, it, he'll, he'll fix your stuff, he'll fix your pipes in, mm-hmm. in the, the last second, right before they burst. My, uh, Christopher my, Plumber. My dark horse is Kevin Spacey. For... <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> you, can, you get hints Kevin of him Spacey in Kevin Spacey and Christopher Plummer makeup. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. And then for supporting actress, it really looks like Allison Janney has it on lock, but Laurie Metcalf. I'm pulling for Laurie Metcalf very hard just because we talked about it a little bit in our, our Itania discussion, but I just think Laurie Metcalf gave a more dynamic performance. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think anyone else could sneak in there. Yeah. Um, for best director, it's GDT. Yeah, well, see, yeah. the thing is, I had issues with that movie, but none of them were directing issues. Mm-hmm. That movie is beautiful, so I, I'd be perfectly yeah, happy. Yeah, and you I, won. I recommend um, if you guys have time to check out the Directors Guild of America uh, panel yep. podcast because listening to uh, Guillermo del Toro talk about his film and not just Shape of Water, but like his whole directing philosophy in, in that podcast, it really makes you think that he absolutely deserves this award, and it's not just like a legacy. Um, career award you can tell that for every film especially for this film he knew exactly what he was doing he made this movie for under 20 million dollars and i i also was going to plug that pod real quick it's uh three parts but it's really just fascinating listening to because every nominated director is on this podcast and they each talk about their own individual styles that they have some people like to be 
right on like right there on the camera right there next to the actors other people like i think it was jordan peele likes to be back watching it on a tv viewing it as the audience yeah. would i like it's it's extremely similar to uh what you hear about football coaches mm-hmm. like some of them are like up in the literally in the uh stands and then others are right on the field like yelling at the quarterback it's just a stylistic thing and you can be successful like with a plenty of different styles yeah, definitely yeah i'm Again, I'm pretty sure Guillermo del Toro has it on lock, but if anyone could get in there, it might be I don't I don't think any no, this is a sure category. I think that it is. I've actually Nolan, I was no. I was looking at a five thirty eight has all their predictions and Dun and uh Christopher Nolan, Dunkirk is actually the second place right now. Yeah. But it's by a pretty huge margin. I think that Guillermo del Toro pretty much has this on lock yeah. and I'm perfectly happy with that. Yeah. But also I do think uh, Nolan is deserving. Like it, it's another movie I had lots of issues with. Directing were not any of the issues. It's it's incredibly shot. So, let's jump over to the screenplay noms. Um, we're I, just gonna skip right over animated feature and or pick a boss baby or what? <laughs> hey man, uh, boss baby, Fernandand, Ferdinand, Ferdinand, Ferdinand. Ferdinand. <laughs> Francis McDernand, <laughs> Ferd my dad. <laughs> For adapted, um, I really think it's going to go to Call Me By Your Name. Yes. Yeah, I, I think so, it's a too. beautiful script. Um, I'm definitely pulling for Logan, though, on this Oof, one. Oof, like, oh my God. I, I'm I'm going to be pulling so hard for Logan. Ultimate Dark Horse. Yeah. I'd be so bummed if Sorkin got it. I'd be like, eh. No. I guess. I, that movie pissed me off. I think that movie. It, I think that movie should have been so much better. That story is so good, and like he made it into a deposition. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, like I wish, or I don't wish this because it's probably good that all the news has come out about Franco. But I feel like if all the news about Franco didn't come out right before nominations and all this discussion came out about it, I feel like the Disasters would have a really good shot at this category. But the fact it's the that, only nomination is the it? fact that Franco didn't even get nominated, and yeah, I believe that it is the only nomination. That I received yeah. despite it uh, leading up to the nominations before all the Franco news came out he it was getting so much buzz I mean I'm, I'm 100% sure that Franco was doing the the rounds for actor and yeah. director and then they were like well we got to replace him real quick uh did Denzel do a movie this year yeah, yeah let's throw Denzel in there yeah PT Anderson come on did yeah. Denzel do a movie no okay let's shoot one really quick uh <laughs> it's about a fucking lawyer I don't know <laughs> All right, and then original. I really hope it's big sick. I hope so, but I'm. I don't think it is, but I do think it's going to be Get Out. I, I, I think I'm going to thrilled if it was Get Out. I'm going to put my money on Get Out. Me too. That's what I. Yeah. That's what I chose. Um, uh, that'd be great. I sounds mean, like sh- we're gonna have very similar Oscar <laughs> ballots. Shape of Water, though. Shape of Water, and I actually think if it's not Get Out, I think it's going to go three billboards. I think that that's going to be, Oof. there could be a sign like halfway through the night on how the night's going to go because I feel like this is either going to be a big night for three billboards or a big night for Shape of Water. And I feel like original screenplay, if it goes to three billboards over Shape of Water, Get Out, it could be I a tell for Best Picture. Be, it could be a three billboards well, kind of night. I, I could totally see Best Picture and screenplay splitting it. I could see Get Out getting uh, screenplay and then picture going to either Shape of Water or Three Billboards. Yeah, I, it's I just totally it's one of those that. years. Um, but yeah, let's get more into it uh, next week with our special. Yeah, but let's let's before we move on, let's let's talk about Best Picture because this is the year. I'm I'm really excited for this Oscars because this is the year that there's not one clear front runner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's looking like I I read the same 538 piece where they have because 538 is a statistics site, so they have metrics on it, and they're saying Shape of Water has a solid lead, 
at the moment, and then Three Billboards is in second. They're pretty even. Mm-hmm. I would um, say they're like kind of almost 50-50. Yeah, but uh, after that, you know, the post. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it if Get Out snuck in there. That I, is so amazing. I just don't see that happening, though. Well, th- but there is a chance, just because there is nine movies nominated this year, that maybe if there is just enough people that are just like, you know what, I wasn't a fan of Three Billboards, I wasn't a fan of The Shape of Water. They did get younger with their voting pool this year at the Oscars. There could be people trying to make a statement mm-hmm. with this best picture, and if enough people vote for Get Out, I mean, we don't really know what the majority necessary vote is going to be with nine films well you i don't know if you guys know this but the way they vote for best picture i don't know if they do this for all the categories but because everyone votes for best picture they do a ranked vote Mm -hmm. so you don't cast a single ballot for a single film yeah you do you order them like from number one to number nine and depending on which movies you put towards the top of the list they get a weighted vote so the movie that if enough people put a single movie as number two and then their number ones are all mm-hmm. over the place, Different. that movie could win Best Picture. Yeah, that happens with uh, another sports reference. It happens with like uh, all pro or all star voting a lot yeah. where someone is everyone's second place and then enough people hate the guy who's first place that they put him in last. <laughs> so second place. Because like with it, I could see that happening with a movie like Three Billboards or even maybe Shape of Water where enough people are like, no, I'm standing against that, that they put it way too low, like irrationally low. Yeah. And so then yeah. someone sneaks in. The Shape of War was worse than The Post. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Well, yeah, we'll we'll make our final predictions on the next ep, and we'll go through all the categories, because throughout the next week, we're still going to be catching up on some nominees. So okay. we'll get to that next step. So let's, let's get, get into it. Let's get to what we've been watching. Okay, so really, really quick, this is like not even a movie or a TV show, so kind of blasphemy, but... Um, I'm a massive, massive John Mulaney fan. I always have. I'm a big comedy fan in general, and he's one of the best stand-ups working. He has, a, you know, a dream life, like you know, writing for SNL for all those years and blah blah blah. Anyway, uh, Ernie had the pleasure of seeing his Broadway show with Nick Kroll, Oof. Oh Hello, live on Broadway. So good. Um, and it was eventually released on Netflix. I don't think we ever talked about it because it was before we did the pod, right? Yeah, it's still on there. Yeah, it's, it's a Netflix original. It's still there, and it's just it's just literally a live taping of their Broadway show, and it's it's crazy. Like, it's it's I can't. It's one of those things you can't really recommend to everybody. Yeah, just because it's a very specific type of humor. It is. But if you are into that kind of meta humor very referential yeah, it's meta and it's referential and it's good character work it, it is non-stop like there yeah. are jokes jam-packed in there like um yeah so those but it's starring two characters gil faison and george st Geeglin. that kroll and mulaney have been doing uh like improv and on stage for like they're best friends so for like 15 years or so so they don't even really need like a scripted show to be really good as these characters um, so that leads me to on YouTube, the 92nd Street YMCA in Manhattan, I think, on New- in New York City has an auditorium and they put on, you know, they have, uh, usually it's very serious discussions where someone will come in and talk about Israel and Palestine or whatever. Um, and they usually film them and they have a YouTube channel. And twice now they've had the Oh Hello guys on. They've had John and Nick on in character doing a full 
improv show, but it's set up like an interview where there's a moderator. The first time they did it was a couple years ago, and it was Willie Geist, who's an NBC news anchor. So the bit, you know, their bit is always that they go after whoever the other person is. Yeah. Like, their, their character is very abrasive. <laughs> and he wasn't great at, like, kind of hitting back because he's not an improviser. So I... I still love that anyway, but you can't really recommend it to people because it's like, hey, this is on the YMCA YouTube channel. They're like, shut up, <laughs> shut up. Um, but I found out that last year they did one, the same place, YMCA, where the moderator is John Oliver. And the difference is unbelievable when you have a seasoned comedian veteran in the other seat. He did their Broadway show, too. He did one of their shows. Qu- question. So is this a thing that like they try to get people in on? What do you mean? Like the... It, to, is the audience in any way alerted as to like yeah, yeah. what's going on? Yes, because uh, they do a, a questions from the audience segment, and it's a bunch of fans of theirs. Okay, like okay. they know it's a comedy. They're show. They're not trying to prank anyone. No, no, no. Not they, a prank show. There's not even a too much tuna thing. They know it's a comedy show, and it's just them completely in character the whole time. And John Oliver is trying to. He's given questions that were written by the characters Gil and George, so they're very flattering to them, and it's just. It's an hour and a half of some of the sharpest improv I've seen in my whole life. And no one really knows about this video because it's on a YMCA's YouTube page. (laughs) It has like 100,000 hits, which isn't bad, but that's like pretty much nothing. Um, So I just wanted to recommend it really quick. If you like, it's very specific, a lot of New York specific jokes, a lot of showbiz specific jokes. But if you like improv, this is as good as it gets, in my opinion. Yeah, I'll I'll link that um, down in the show notes if... You listeners want to scroll down and watch it. It's Oh Hello, 92nd Street, YNCA. On YouTube? Yeah, it's just on YouTube. Yeah. It's oh. just sitting there. All right. Hunter, what have you been watching? So, uh, like I said earlier, I've been trying to plow through all my Oscar movies, and I finished watching every movie nominated for Best Picture this past week. I started with Darkest Hour. So, I'm going to tell you guys, going into this... <laughs> I was so not excited to watch this movie. Like, I did not give a shit about watching this movie, but I was like, you know what? I just want to see everything that's going to be nominated for an Oscar this year. Everybody's saying Gary Oldman's amazing. I was going to watch this movie just to see it. Guys, this movie was actually... It was good. It was really good. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I... It's obviously not a movie for everybody. I see why some people are complaining that it's Oscar baity, but... To be honest, I didn't find it Oscar Beatty at all. I okay. thought that it was a really good biopic in that I was invested, I was uh, entertained, and also I learned something. Um, so this, for those of you who don't know, this is following uh, Winston Churchill in the first month that he took over as Prime Minister of England, or of the United Kingdom, I should say. And really, like, I had no idea, like, I... I Always like really loved World War Two and stuff like that, but I had no idea Hunter's, how polarizing. Hunter's a huge fucking Nazi. Yeah, I we I haven't got, always, really talked about that. I've always we? wondered what could have been. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I had no idea how hated Winston Churchill was whenever he took over as prime minister. Mm-hmm. Like he was literally like the last option, and then finally the Conservative Party, which was the ruling party in uh in England, basically was just like, well, this guy uh, Neville Chamberlain, who is the current prime minister, got. Basically, he was forced to resign because the f- common people hated him. Like, and they had to get somebody who would appeal to the other side. So they got this guy. And this was in the middle of the conflict. This was in uh, as it, Hitler was taking. This was over. in 1940. So this was after the uh, Germany had already invaded Belgium, and they were on the French border. 
Okay. Whenever this is, he took over in like literally the worst possible circumstances. Damn. Um, and it's really interesting that this movie and Dunkirk came out in the same year as each other because they follow the same actual event, the rescue of the soldiers on Dunkirk. It's like their sister but from films. Two totally different sides yeah. one of them takes place literally on the beaches with explosions happening and the other one is in the map room where you just see them plotting it out um like they just he uh gary oldman's character just he organizes this whole civilian fleet the largest civilian fleet ever to come and save all these soldiers so th- i thought that that was actually really interesting they both came out this year guys gary oldman was fantastic in this movie like okay I I don't think that there's any question that Darkest Hour is going to win Best Makeup. I saw like a little thing about the hundreds of hours that went into putting Gary Oldman through makeup. Wow. They shot for 200 consecutive days. Like crazy shit. What? Crazy shit. Like a year of making up, yeah. almost a year. <laughs> but like Jesus it was like wild. the Grinch. It was wild. <laughs> <laughs> wild how much work went into this movie. And like I I, I understand that's not a movie for everybody because it's a lot of men in rooms talking to each other. So like I, a lot of white dudes in rooms talking to each other, it's not going to be very interesting to a lot of people, but Mm -hmm. I was enthralled by it. I thought the direction was actually Joe, Wright. Yeah. Joe, Wright. Who the only other movie I've seen by him, um, I believe is the soloist. He made the soloist. It's a a good movie. Solid movie. Yeah. It's, I like the soloist. His, his movie before darkest hour was pan. Oh, neat. Anyone I know remember also, Pan? No. I know he also made... Was Pride- that the Spanish release called Bread? <laughs> no, this was the one about Peter Pan, but it's like dark and gritty, so it's just Pan. Ooh, I thought like, that was a Tim Burton really movie. That's really stupid. <laughs> that's a horrible name. Pan. That's fucking... But, that's like uh, a meme. This, yeah, guy, Hugh, this Hugh guy also made uh, Pride and Prejudice and Atonement. Which oh, I've, uh, shit. Yeah, I've Atonement. never seen... Atonement is a great movie. Yeah, I've never seen either of those movies, but... I really don't understand why this movie is getting so much shit. Like, people are hating on this movie. I read the AV Club's review for this movie, and it is scathing. It's like, people are criticizing the direction. They're like, they basically say, which this is kind of true, that uh, Gary Oldman's makeup (laughs) might as well have tattooed on the forehead for your consideration, (laughs) (laughs) which is fairly accurate. Yo, Joe Joe Wright also directed Nosedive, the Black Mirror ep. Really? Oh, yeah. okay. Okay, yeah, well, that's interesting. That's interesting that you say that because we've talked about before on the pod, we brushed upon it, the concept of it's kind of better to make an Oscar bait movie than it is to make a populist movie where your your goal is to have the biggest audience possible. Like, Oscar bait movies aren't the best, but they're better than that, you know? Yeah, yeah definitely. Like, there are worse things to be than Oscar Beatty. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Oscar um, Beatty is basically saying, like, I want it to be good yeah it's almost elitist though yeah well yeah it's saying like i want it to be very fancy and appeal it's also saying i wanted to appeal to a bunch of old white people yeah. so that's the the bad side of the, oscar Beatty. but the, it's also saying it's good the aim isn't for it to be entertaining it's for it to get acclaim and, and right. awards yeah. and um just a couple more thoughts on it the supporting cast i thought for the most part was really strong uh lily james is in this who you might know as the female love interest and in baby driver also, the girl who looks exactly like Shelly from Twin Peaks. Like, literally identical. Um, uh, here we go again with this fucking bullshit. <laughs> but uh, I thought the best... Yo, Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah, no, I was going to say the best uh, the best supporting actor in this film was Ben Mendelsohn playing King George the nice. Sixth, And he was awesome. Like, he was really... He gave stuttering? a really, really good performance. <laughs> stuttering King George? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, Colin Farrell? 
Call, no, Colin. Um, it's the other Colin. Colin Mockery. No, <laughs> Colin from, Firth from Birth from Whose Line Is It Anyway? Well, Colin I mean, uh, the Colin King's Goody. The King's Speech is another movie that got a lot of hate for being really Oscar baity. And if you actually watch that movie, it's like not that bad. That's it's actually thing. pretty good. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. There's worse things to be. And like, it's not the ideal, but it's not the worst. Also, like another thing about The Darkest Hour is it's like a clean two hours long. It's not a three hour movie. Like mm. it is so nice that it's just it's just two hours long. It doesn't ever really drag at any points. Um, you know what? You're actually but, you're actually selling me. I'm gonna see it. I th- I like yeah, I I'll recommend it. I recommend it. Um, there's one specific scene which I understand a lot of people are going to roll their eyes at, but like I actually love this scene at the end of the film. I, I, I won't say too much about it because I do want you guys to see it, but it's a scene that uh, involves that uh, Winston Churchill is on the subway for really showing how he Churchill really was like a man of the people, which I think is extremely timely in the day and age that we are in now where we have our all of our politicians seem completely isolated and in their own worlds completely yeah. and it's so great to see just a politician who's just willing to go out there and just talk to the people and ask him like hey what do you like you guys just ride in the subway like what do you guys think i should do about this whole like nazi invasion thing that's really cool like that was just like an awesome scene and they're just I like really oi, oh, hey fucking <laughs> drop also, the bombs on him <laughs> also i didn't realize winston churchill was such a fucking alcoholic until <laughs> yeah. this movie um, like i know that he smoked cigars constantly and all this stuff but they would say like he downed a bottle of champagne at breakfast he would go through another one at dinner time and then scotch and brandy all in between like he was pretty much fucked up like all the time but true. he was still like a genius <laughs> yeah i've I I have read about that. Um, also, another part of where the backlash is coming from is the fact that Churchill was explicitly a white supremacist. Like, he explicitly has quotes that are like, whites are the best. So, and that's, you know, obviously it's not going to be mentioned in the movie, but like, yeah. it's kind of like, huh, this is kind of a year for like get out and stuff. And before we move on, I, I wanted to go back to your thought about comparing it to Dunkirk. Do you think that? in some alternate universe those two movies are the same like they join the movies would it and be, it makes would it for be a better wor- no it works for, it makes for a worse movie oh absolutely it would make for, <laughs> if you it if would you're be cutting four hours long forth, <laughs> well, well if it was just yeah beach. if they did one hour if they took the best hour out of each and they put them together that I would that not would be good. Yeah, yeah no that would because it would take you away from the enthralling moments of the movie so and the, then, the two individual that's movies why, are better and that's why it works in this movie because it's never really over dramatic explosions there i will say another thing about this movie is it's really gorgeously shot um there are it is very dark at points um which i understand that's kind of what the what joe wright is going for but there's one specific transition where it is panning over a uh it's supposed to be uh watching like the france right now and you see all these explosions going off and it keeps panning over and it like turns into the side of a dead soldier's face and it's like mm. it's an awesome shot like just really cool how they put that all together this movie shot by bruno del bonel and his other credits are uh inside lewin davis oh yeah harry potter and the half-blood prince oh. across the universe okay oh, that's and Oh, okay. So oh, all damn. great, so really good, films. really good films. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely recommend that yeah. you guys check this out yeah, next we, week. We all right. will. All right. What, what else? Have you so been yeah, watching? now I'm, so, I'm excited about this. Hunter finally saw fucking Call Me by Your Name. Okay, guys, I, I saw Call Me by Your Name, and guess what? Mm. I thought it was just good. <gasps> it was okay. In your I opinion. thought it was good. I did not think it was really good. I definitely didn't think it was great. Um, 
mainly i i do, have some do you want to do like issues. spoiler free and then get into a little yeah, bit spoiler? yeah i mean i don't this really isn't a movie with like much spoilers but i can just if you want to get more into specifics and we can um i will say for one i really i thought army hammer was very okay i don't think army hammer elevated his role at all yeah we, i think Tim- timothy chalamet is fantastic in this movie like he is amazing but army hammer just kind of plays a fucking dude bro american dude bro later like that was that was basically just like his role in the movie and made fun of it though i just i another thing that really bothered me about this movie i get supposed to be very lighthearted and everything and i know that they're making a sequel but i really wish that there was just some just one moment of serious dramatic action happening not action but just peril just some moment it doesn't have to be like them going through the aids crisis or something it could just be them walking in the streets in some foreign in some italian city and somebody heckling them for being like gay like i just wanted you're missing the point of the movie then i no i like i understand that i just wanted something more to make me care about this relationship because otherwise it's just you're watching it through the eyes of uh elio and he's just like an emotional 17-year-old boy who thinks that he found the love of his life when he's just like 17. Yeah, that's what it's about. And I just, I wanted more than that, though. I know. Like, well, I, that's kind of like... But you're, I, going, I, you're going into it with the expectation that this these this should be a dramatic I'm not. Romance. No, well, no. You guys already told me that it wasn't going to be dramatic, so I didn't have that expectation. Okay. Going in, I expected it to be lighthearted. Okay. But watching it, I wanted something more. It's not that lighthearted, though. It's definitely heartbreaking. I did you, not find it heartbreaking at all. I think it is heartbreaking because you kind of you connect with someone who is making such a big deal out of this little relationship. Like I think it did a good job of of portraying how how young love feels yeah, and, and exactly. young heartbreak of realizing that it's just not going to work. Like Army Hammer, his character He's just having a fling. He's just in Europe, and he's feeling up this little boy. Yeah, the seventeen-year-old boy. Let's talk about that real quick. Twenty-four and seventeen-year-old, like Army Hammer's kind of a fucking creep. He looks like he's like in his thirties. Yeah, he does. But you know, it's in the eighties, and it's in Europe, so it's like it's very you know fluid. But to to Elio, it means everything in the world. You know, Oliver is just kind of having fun, having a good time. But Elio is like falling head over heels for this dude, and he is really feeling the feels and really like enthralled by this American boy. Okay, so I to your point about that, um, I just want to bring up a uh, it's a theory that I've heard from Bill Simmons before that he says that any movie shot in Italy is 40% better than it would normally be. And I think that's absolutely yeah. true in this movie. Yeah. That, like, you take out all the beautiful wide shots showing just, like, this these gorgeous hillsides. The waterfall. The waterfall. And look at all this old architecture. It's just a movie about some dudes falling in love and biking. And that's really Swim, like what don't the core of it is. Swimming. swimming and biking. Like, hey man, you wanna go uh, take a bike ride? Oh yeah, let's go stop up here in this hill. All right, cool man. You wanna go? You wanna go back to the house? Do some gay shit? All right, yeah, cool. Let's go on back. See, you wanna I, go bike out again? All right, yeah, there we go. I think. Well, that, that's like you could say that about Florida Project, but you're not. Oh, it's like, hey, let's just run over here. But I think there. that Florida Project to that point. I think the Florida Project. It works, for one, because it's shot through the mindset of a child, and I think that that's why Florida Project works so well, is the way in which the story is told is almost like memories flashing before a child's eyes, Um, where with this, I 
I still, I did feel with Elio, like I don't want to make it sound like I just totally did not like this movie, but I don't think it wasn't in my, I don't think I would put it in my top five movies of the year just because if whenever you kind of strip it down, it feels very hollow. Well, it is based on a book, so I don't know how much they changed the story from the book, but for me, it worked on a level of just uniqueness from the kind of cookie-cutter Hollywood model of like what a risque um, romance should be. You know, if this was a a standard Hollywood movie, you would have had a dramatic moment where like someone almost dies or someone does die and it gets really overly dramatic. Why not have, I mean, you don't have to have something like that kind of level of dramatic. Like you just have Army Hammer just, I mean, the only moment of quote-unquote drama is when uh, fucking Timothy Chalamet tries to be straight for like a no, he's couple bi. scenes he's bi, well dude. he definitely was not trying to like he, he definitely didn't really have feelings for this girl he was like all right when can i get back to my boy oliver mm. i mean they were definitely attracted to each other whether or not he he was really into her he definitely he like, definitely was shooting it after like 10 seconds <laughs> well that's true but he also <laughs> shot it in like three seconds whenever he fucked an apricot so yeah i guess that's a spoiler <laughs> um I mean, I, I get what you're saying, and I, I'm not saying this movie is truly great. Like, no one here is talking about it as a best picture, like, consideration thing. I'm happy yeah. it's nominated, but, like, no one thinks it's going to win. Uh, I I agree that Army Hammer isn't great in it. I think Timothy Chalamet is, like, on the verge of, like, legitimately deserving best actor. Like, oh, yeah. I think that he is, like, I, was, I think that he was phenomenal. Just he that, elevated final, that final shot alone. That shot, but mostly Michael Stuhlbarg's monologue, monologue that oh, yeah. he gives that shit's especially awesome. the the part where it's mostly just one long yeah. take so is... if you haven't seen call me by your name please go see it it's a very limited i release. still would recommend it yeah. um i mean i i talked about that that scene too because i i think i said it on the pod where it's exactly like the end of catcher in the rye it's the speech from the the father figure that gives the young character exactly what they need yeah yeah I, and like, i love that shit i just i i still like enjoyed the movie i would give it probably like a 7.5 or oh, something that's, that's good yeah like yeah, i'd give it like solid. a 7 7.5 like i don't think it was a bad movie i just i wanted just a little bit i just wanted it to go a little bit deeper um one other thing is i did think it was about 20 minutes too long this movie really? is it's Dragged two hours and 12 minutes like we could sniff down a little bit of those long yeah. shots of them biking. well that's what like, I you was... could easily cut down like 10 minutes i i said something like that too where the whole scene where they travel away and then that's when he truly finds out. I think they could have just done that, that in the original town. Yeah, I like, don't really know. I he's mean, dancing and like that, that whole scene could have just ha- might as well have happened in the original city in Italy. It's not like we're like, oh, this is that other city. Yeah, it, all, that, it looks the I fucking love. same. Yeah, it all looks like, the same. <laughs> um, let's get into a brief little spoiler discussion. Go see the movie if you haven't already or you can keep listening if you don't care, but there's some light spo- spoilers following. Um, I want to discuss couple specific things from the movie um so the whole michael stuhlberg monologue at the end i love thinking about this because he manages to say so much without really saying much and you he kind of leaves it up to your interpretation as to what he's trying to say to his son because throughout the film there are a lot of moments where you understand that they have a really unique father-son relationship mm-hmm. and elio you... elio has that moment where he tells him like hey i almost had sex with someone last right. night and it's not taboo it's not or or and it's yeah. also 
very heavily hinted the whole movie. You're like, I think the dad knows, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, and yeah, the mom definitely. too. Yeah. And, um, and by the end, like you pretty much know with the phone call at the end, you know that they both are very well aware of his relationship with Elio. I mean, they were banging in the house. Like, yeah. Everyone's there. <laughs> uh, so another problem I had in the movie was I w- just like, I couldn't really buy into Elio and, um, um, Oliver. Oliver's relationship completely, mostly because I thought Michael Stuhlberg was more believable as a gay man than Army Hammer was. <laughs> like to be perfectly honest, okay, like, so that's just you did exactly how I you felt. You did like. interpret that final monologue as Michael Stuhlberg saying that. Well, he, he was just like I almost. Of- he was like I almost had something like that before but then like it never i never yeah. had as much as you did or whatever yeah, something and that's, like that that's what i like about that movie is that he doesn't or that that speech is that um he doesn't come out and say like hey i used to have feelings for a man it's like he's sort of trying to tell his son like look we he indirectly he's trying to say like i support you for whatever you want to feel and whatever you want to do and i understand the confliction inside of you because i felt it and i didn't act upon it and i suppressed it to the point of it almost pretty much disappearing yeah um i i think that like i agree with a lot of your points they just don't take away from the overall the arc of how i felt watching the movie was still plenty for me like it still had a great emotional through line for me where i was like wow i really i give a shit like i Timothy Chalamet was so good and so relatable as just a young guy trying to figure out his feelings. Like 17 is when I fell in love for the first time. It's just, a, it's yeah, a, me too. It's, yeah. an, it's an age where you're just like, what am I supposed to do with this emotion? And you, and you make such a big oh, deal yeah. out of it. Yeah. It, it just, means the world. It to just, you. It, I found that through line of emotions. I think it made up for a lot of the smaller issues I had where it's like, yeah, not that much is legitimately happening, but like still to him, everything is happening. And it's all in the performance. Yeah. That's why the movie works is because of Timothy Chalman's performance, because he is making such a big deal out of this fling that you connect with his deep, deep emotions that he's feeling for Oliver. And it's, the the reason why I really do love this movie is because I was so into just the lazy summerness of it. This the fact I wish that, that this was a summer movie. To be honest, like it feels yeah. like it would be perfect if it came out in like July. Or yeah, something and, and like that's that. what it is. It's just a lazy summer yeah, of them swimming and biking, and I was so on board. Like the only moment of of true drama that happens is when um. I, well, there's a couple, but the one that comes to mind is when um, Oliver pulls Elio off to the side by the in the corner in the town, and he's like, "I wish I could kiss you right now," mm-hmm. and they're just like staring at each other. And you know, you don't have to have, at least in my opinion, you don't have to have the moment of a bystander like looking at them weird or judging them just by the 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 exchange. And can can we just? acknowledge the beautiful beautiful long take that happens in front of that uh, statue oh my god oh yeah because the camera is just it's pretty far away we don't really get any close-ups but it doesn't cut and it's there the two main characters are separated by the statue watch them walk apart from each other and then come back together They're together then they're apart and then come back together and they don't really say much during this scene Mm. but what they do say it's like they're tiptoeing around. It's very everything. authentic. I did. I did really yeah. love that scene. I think they don't want to. They don't want to come out and say like, "Hey, I like you. I have feelings for you. I want to yeah. bang you." It's just 
it, they're they're going about it in this completely yeah. roundabout way. That's another thing I really loved about the movie. That kind of like I I can't really super disagree with any of your takes. Like I understand exactly where you're coming from, but just the the dialogue and the emotional through line and the way it was shot kind of make up for any small issues I had. And still at that, it's still you know not my best picture of the year. There's another bottle of champagne. Don't worry, you alcoholics. <laughs> This is uh, this I've been is a taking, note from, uh, taking notes from uh, Winston Churchill. So yeah. yeah, Hunter's getting trashed and being like, "Fuck the gays." Okay, but, <laughs> so <laughs> before we move on, though, I want to talk about the peach scene. Okay, let's talk about it's an apricot. By the way, he fucks an apricot. Yeah. Yes. So yes. the big question: Did you guys come? I <laughs> during that scene. Well, luckily, I had an apricot nearby, so okay. I followed in the exact same. Se- I didn't last quite as long yeah. as he did. We all had apricots, like you do. <laughs> so, <laughs> we all had them nearby. <laughs> so I think Elio associates the apricot with with uh, Oliver because Oliver is so he, yeah. He's they, all about you have it. the one moment where he's like, oh well, if uh, if I start eating those, I won't stop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, if I start fucking those kids. I'm not gonna. Stop. <laughs> It's and it's just like I said. It's isn't it so much like mother, where the whole the metaphor of like oh the ripe fruit, the young youthful, the flesh, and then he just fucks and it's like yep, that's the end of it. And that's, then, that metaphor okay, is done forever. No, no, and there's then, no more of that metaphor. And then uh, fucking uh, army hammer comes and like drinks the cum out of the almost, uh, uh, almost. No, he snips his finger in it, and he definitely yeah. has a little. He has a, a little, little taste of it. He has a little taste. Of it. He's about to chug it down, and then luckily, fucking Elio starts crying because otherwise I, he was just gonna fucking go for it. I do, I do love that moment because Elio is so embarrassed mm. by what yeah. he's done that he. You can tell that he's like. What am I becoming? Yeah, like, and then this Army's is why, like, Army's this like, is why you never you always clean up after yourself after you jack off because <laughs> otherwise somebody's gonna come home and see you and you're gonna be like oh god just covered in your Kids, own semen and eat tissues your own, eat your own apricot <laughs> yeah you gotta it's gotta be a topping just don't don't do come alone it's like it's like drinking mayonnaise just put it on a sandwich yeah come on a sandwich and then eat the sandwich you idiot <laughs> don't don't let Army Hammer come in and give you you know give you shit about you not eating your own apricot. <laughs> I swear, every time I just, Army Hammer fucking <laughs> makes fun of me. He just dips his finger in and just goes yeah. for it. And it's like, could you give a little better of a performance right now? <laughs> so, I, I'm just curious. Um, what would you guys give this out of 10 and where would you guys put this on your top 10 movies of it's, the year? It's number seven on mine. It's Yeah, it was in my... It was around that area. I don't remember exactly, but you gave it a seven something. I would give it an eight something. I'm not that f- much ahead of you. I just like I just feel like some of the things... That apparently you had the same issues. They just bothered me a little bit more. I do think that the movie did do an amazing job of making you feel that emotional weight of a 17-year-old. Like, I understood that part. It was just some of the other things just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And like I said, I really think that this is like a fact theory. Like, it's it just should be a fact that movies are 40% better wherever they're shot in Italy. Northern Italy. Northern Italy. Somewhere in Northern Italy. Yeah, yeah, just somewhere in Northern Italy. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, any, any last thoughts? Yeah, I think another, like, kind of where I'm coming from mostly, like, I have... The thing that I know the most about filmmaking and the thing I understand deepest is screenwriting. And, I, you know, I've read books about it. And just my whole life, before I even knew about, like, analyzing film, I've always gravitated toward films that have more realistic writing. And this movie, while not, like, not much happens, the writing of it is what drew me to it. Because... I my biggest pet peeve is when there's a movie with a bunch of big set pieces and none of the characters 
have ever are human beings. None of the characters are actual people. They're movie people. Um, and this movie is not that, and it suffers on the, you know, events side because of that, but it's also just kind of telling a story that you could just see happening. I think the lack of action in this movie, in in my opinion, is completely made up for in the subtext. Like yeah, that's the, what I'm saying. It the has... shot of, of Elio playing the piano, uh, doing all the different versions of Bach with Oliver getting mad about, really cool. about yeah. not playing the exact original version. That scene alone gives you so much about the relationship between these two characters than any other yeah. action-driven dramatic sequence Do, would. So did has Timothy Chalamet, like, would see, did he already know, like, all of these things before he came into this movie? Because he's just, like, Timothy Chalamet is just, like, an incredible person. He's, he's a, like, a great actor. <laughs> he can fucking play piano and guitar. guitar. Like, yeah. he's a, who he, is this guy? He is genuinely, like... People are trying to, you know, people have said that like Ansel Elgort and him went to the same high school, so it's like kind of like a new Damon Affleck thing. Mm-hmm. They said that on, I'm pretty sure the rewatchables talking about if who's they, Damon and who's Affleck. Yeah, that's the thing. Well, <laughs> Chalamet's better, so he's Damon. Oh but, boy, I think that both are better than either of those two. I'm just yeah, but course, like yeah. I just. I think that Chalamet is a billion times better than Ansel Elgort. I think he's the yeah, best definitely. young actor in Hollywood. This performance I think was perfect. I don't think there was anything. Oh, yeah. I think he fucking nailed it. And I agree. I said he ran laps around every adult in this movie except maybe Stuhlbarg at the end. When when he puts uh Oliver's shorts over his head and oh, he starts God, humping yeah. the air, I was like Oscar. <laughs> Give, Give that man him. the Oscar. Give it to him. You guys I, know, I want him to get it. Did you guys know this guy's younger than all of us? Yeah, he's, he's like 22. 22. And yeah, and December. he's just a f- yeah. he's that good. Like, like that's amazing. He um okay, so another point we were talking about the um adaptation. I was just kind of looking it up quickly. So the book takes place in 1987 during the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. So I don't know exactly what the difference is between well, the book and the movie, but I know they are making sequels. They're supposed to make Two other movies because the director uh, Luca Guad- Guadagnino has yeah. said that he wants to make this like his Before Sunrise type Ooh, trilogy. Yeah, with the and same the, actors. Yeah, and the sequels are going to involve AIDS. He said. Yeah, like they said that they're going to be more dramatic. Yeah. Um, I just wish that we would have gotten maybe a taste of that a little bit more in this movie. But another thing that's interesting about this uh, article that I just like looked up was that the uh, the novel it, the last 40 pages of the novel go through the next 20 years of Elio and uh, Oliver's lives so there's going to be a lot more original writing that's going to go into these future movies just because they don't have a whole novel work from them. they're only going to have like certain moments throughout these the rest of these characters lives all right all right let's move on yeah uh let's jump back over to you Drew you want to talk real quick about this yeah um so Joel McHale has the soup again, basically. Yep, Netflix, pretty much the exact same thing. Yeah, he's been. You know, I mean, he's been busy with other projects. His CBS sitcom, The Great Indoors, which was horrible. Not, it's not his own fault, but it's you know, it's just a, a standard bad sitcom. It got canceled, and Netflix scooped him up and gave him the Joel McHale show with Joel McHale, which it's not like the soup. It is the soup. <laughs> it's the soup. It's, it's the, the soup, same. but streaming. Yeah. So, did it's, you guys watch the soup when you were young? Yeah. A little bit. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. it's. I mean, essentially, mystery science was kind of harder to find. And this is essentially mystery science, but with reality television, where it's the same premise of it's like you're watching something bad with someone who's really funny. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, 
it's it's a team of it's like you're watching it with a team of comedy writers because a team of comedy writers watched these horrible shows and they comment on it. So I, as a kid, really appreciated it because my sister would watch all these reality shows and then I could watch yeah. the soup and be like, yeah, that's what it's actually like. Um, and this show is very I mean, it is the soup like. It's no, only, yeah, definitely. It's, one it's episode, the soup, right? except it's also an ad for Netflix. Yeah, which uh, we should talk about that because they go on this whole tangent. Oh, you saw it too? Yes, yeah, okay. yeah. I, I actually I, I put it on here just because I watched it and I had the same feeling that it's the soup. It's literally yeah. just the soup. But they go on this whole little thing where Joe McHale's like touring around the Netflix office and all this thing. It's supposed to be poking fun at all of Netflix's, and it's kind of just advertising for everything. Yeah. Um, the best bit that happens is there's a mini community reunion. Yeah, that was really cool. That was really funny. Allison Brie and Jim yeah. Rash and Jim Rash. Well. I think is is it is he actually making fun of Netflix shit though? Like does he is there any chance for him to actually dig in? Well that's he used to the thing with the soup is he always made fun of E because they but were did the, he though? They had the Kardashians and shit. He really yeah. did. I feel like E probably told him to Well they did. Back There's off. an article about that right now. They told him to back off the Kardashians, but they had a lot of reality shows and he shat on all of okay. them. Okay. Okay. The whole thing yeah, he, he talks shit about E a lot, even when he couldn't about the Kardashians. So he's not really talking shit but it's just a very meta show because it's literally a show about tv so how you know it is kind of an ad he's just poking fun at everything like in the actual teaser for it they like he kind of makes a joke it's just like him staying in front of a green screen he's like and this is my stage i guess the uh netflix spent too many money too much money on orcs and shit like that it's like ha 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 yeah it's just and in true the suit fashion uh, it's just like mystery science really some jokes are real clunkers like mm-hmm. they don't land I really yeah. noticed that there were some jokes they got no they don't try to cover it up no one in the audience laughs and he just moves on which is just like the soup the soup was a very informal show it was just like they did it first take and they're like all right cut and they keep it in and the yeah and I really product. liked that about it because it really was it seemed kind of genuine mm-hmm. you know um, and so yeah this show kind of carries that, that tradition and it's also just a good way to like I kind of miss watching shitty reality shows because we don't have cable. We, you know, we have streaming and I don't miss them enough to put them on. <laughs> but like I miss being able to make just fun of them. Just casually seeing it on and like just seeing how terrible it yeah, all is. Yeah, well, because yeah, with streaming, you have to like seek it out. And I'm not going to seek out Real Housewives, but it's fun to watch it and make fun of it. So this is a good surrogate for that where you can catch up on all the ridiculous shit that people are watching. Millions of people. While not actually watching it. Yeah. And so this is going to be a weekly thing. An episode a week? Every Sunday. Yeah. Weekly release. Uh, I think they signed on for 13 episodes. Is it it worth keeping up with? Do you think it's... I mean, it depends on if you like that type of thing. It's like 20 minutes. 22 minutes. So if you have nothing else to watch, it's easy to put on. It's quick. It's always going to be decently funny. It's never going to be the funniest thing on TV. Just like The Soup. I, I mean, I just... I was a big fan of The Soup because of the appeal of it is exactly like I loved watching cool. bad shows I'm and just, making fun I'm of I'm just them. glad seeing Joe McHale getting work again because Joe McHale is like genuinely a really funny person and I just want to see him like doing yeah. something that's good. He's do, they, do they make fun of futile stupid gesture? I, I don't remember if they mentioned it or I don't not. think that they did. They, yeah. they might in a future episode. Um, well that's the Joel McHale, McHale show with Joel McHale on Netflix now and every week for the next mm-hmm. what eight to ten weeks? Yeah, uh, 13. 13. 13. They okay. signed on for 13. 12 weeks. Well, another thing that we've been watching, Drew and I, is Crashing on yes. HBO. We haven't talked about this the last few weeks. Yeah, so I've been like kind of hesitant with Crashing just because I don't want my Pete Holmes bias to show, kind of. Mm-hmm. Where like, I love the dude, but the show 
has not been great thus far. It hasn't wowed anyone. Exactly. I think his podcast is great um, because it's truly showing like genuinely who he is and he can get a very interesting interview out of people with his personality. Yeah. And the, the writing on the show reflects the themes of the podcast. It, yeah, definitely. And here's the thing, though. It's getting better because it's steering away from some of those themes and steering into other themes. So one of the themes of his podcast that drew me to it in the first place is he just completely talks shop with comedians, like in a way that is not like Mark Marin, where he's going over someone's life, where they're just talking about like, hey, don't you hate playing this venue or whatever? Yeah. It's so inside baseball. And I fucking love that about his podcast. Like you hear conversations that you would pay a million dollars. If you were an aspiring comedian, how much money would you pay to hear two of the best comedians talking about their lives? You know? And he kind of does the curb thing where he has people come on as themselves yeah, and yeah. have bits about what happens yeah, in real life. Exactly. So his show is getting better going into season two because they're getting into the nuts and bolts of a stand-up comedy career in a way that, like, we've talked about how it compares to all these shows that are about people kind of vaguely involved in comedy. Mm -hmm. But this show can separate itself by getting deep into specifics of comedy. Yeah, and... There aren't. There are a ton of shows, um, aside from difficult people, that are about like young people in LA trying to make it. Exactly. And this is New York, so yeah, this it is already New York. it's already like. A and little we were different. we were talking about it, watching the latest episode. It makes a huge difference that it's genuinely shot in New York. Like at night, there was these good running sequences where you, they they there's no way to fake that. Yeah, He's just running through Greenwich Village. It's, it's the the intersection uh, in Greenwich right by NYU where there's the um, the comedy cellar and there's so many other little comedy spots in that block yeah. radius exactly. like right by Washington Square Park. Yeah, and they get New York comedians. Sometimes it's interesting. Sometimes they change the name of the comedian and sometimes they don't. I guess it depends on the comedian's preference yeah. there. But they take classic New York club comics that live there and just put them on screen. Um so in the in the last few episodes that we haven't talked about and we've we've seen bill burr we yeah. saw john mulaney yeah for a bit mulaney pops in and plays an asshole version of himself very funny bill burr is really fucking good in his episode he's a great actor he's one of my favorite comedians of all time um he's kind of i think he kind of flies under the radar of younger people because he's very hard to swallow he's not like he's good looking and he always kind of yells and is angry yeah but as a comedian he is unbelievable like he he toes the line between every statement he makes initially you're like fuck you bro like you hate him <laughs> and then he plays the game of like over the next minute he wins you back and he, it works every time and it's unbelievable yeah. what he does. and even in in the short bit that he has when he's being a dick yeah like, talking about abortion you're yeah you're not like you're not put off by it yeah he <laughs> see that's it's he's very he's a classic stand-up where they say the thing you shouldn't say and then they make you agree with them over the course of a few minutes um, and he's great in that episode. They've had an arc starting last season with Artie Lang, the uh, the stand-up comedian who got yeah. famous on the Howard Stern show. He in real life he has been in rehab over and over for like things like hard drugs like cocaine and heroin and stuff. And they are just straight up in real time. Like this year, last year he went to rehab for these things. And in the show, the same shit is happening. He's relapsing. He in the last episode. Which I think is the best of the series, and you yeah. agreed with me. Yeah, it's just called Artie. That's the name. Yeah, of it. it's and episode six, and it's a good episode of TV that like it, it weaves the plot really well with Pete putting together this benefit for Wayne Fetterman, who is a uh, another like club comic. 
uh, and then Artie Lang, you know, agreeing to be the headliner, and then he just fuck it, he just relapses, and it doesn't pull any punches with showing how addiction does like it's not like a pretty thing. It makes you into a fucking asshole, and like mad props to Artie for being willing to portray himself this way because you. He really is a giant dick in this episode. Like he just And he's talking about things that are so real to him in real exactly. life. Exactly. And I think that is so cool. Like so really it's cool. it straddles the line between a performance and just like him actually venting about yeah. the struggles in his real life. Exactly. It's insane. I I don't think I've seen a performance this um entangled with life. Well, not just entangled with life, but like um what what did I want to say? Like the way Artie is portraying himself, this whole show has been um, a little bit heightened yeah. and a little bit exaggerated. Yeah. But it's at a point that we've seen his character in the show develop so much that we kind of forgot that he was playing a fictionalized version of himself. Mm-hmm. Or or th- there's this. There's this um, complication when you see someone playing a version of themselves on TV where you kind of like let slide the things that um, are different between the character and the person. Mm-hmm. And it you, you stop caring as, as to like, okay, well, it doesn't matter to me whether this is real or not. But when it's something as intense as addiction, this could have gone very wrong. Yeah. Like, this could have gone horribly wrong with this guy, like, portraying this shit that is so real to him. And he gives an absolutely unbelievable yeah. performance and, in this episode. And this it's episode, so good. it was written by Apatow and Pete Holmes. And Judd Apatow is a descendant of Gary Shandling. And so, and Gary Shandling's entire mantra with writing is truth and comedy. Like, don't go fucking wacky, be truthful. Yeah. And that's what this episode is. But but this show has gone wacky, you know, with oh, the, yeah. with the um, George, what's his name? The... Uh, the the friend the dude that cheated on on Lapkus or that that yeah. Lapkus cheated See, with okay so this is what I was going to say his character is not the best part of the show and the episodes that are the best are the ones that realize that like I was saying this show is the best when it gets into nuts and bolts real life comedy. And steers away from his spiritual journey where he's like, ooh, yeah. what if I'm an atheist? <laughs> but that's Pete Holmes' exactly. whole shtick. But there'll, like... just, there'll be an episode about that and it's like not – every time there's an episode centered around that, it's not as good as when he is touring around and like learning about the alt comedy scene or dealing with Artie Lang's addiction. Also, I don't know if you if you mentioned this earlier, but uh, Jamie Lee yeah. is great on this season. Yeah, and that's another reality fiction thing because Jamie Lee is a stand-up comedian and is Pete Holmes's ex-girlfriend. In real yeah. life, and he yes. cast her as his girlfriend, and they have sex scenes together, yeah, and, and it's just like the cringiest shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's so wild! Like, why <laughs> yeah. would you even sign up to do that? So, uh, so recently, the episode has been steering more into the things that make this show much better, as opposed to Pete's kind of navel gazing, which mm-hmm. he does on the pod too much. Also, he he has guests on, and he's talking about himself, yeah. and it's like this is more about them when he lets other characters shine in the show. It's way better than when it's Agreed. all about Pete. Agreed. Um, I'm and just that's happy. That's, that's definitely one of the things that bugs me about his podcast is that it's way too long, and it just goes on. He'll be like, "So, what do you think about this thing? Here's what I think about it." And I'm going to talk about that for the next ten minutes. Yeah, exactly. Like, the the Pete. his show suffers from the same issue, and when it's best, it's really just about like reality and not about Pete. I'm just happy that the show is improving 
And now that it's renewed for a third season, I hope that next season they give it another layer of yeah, complexity. Exactly. I think they will because it's it's starting to work. I was getting worried that I w- it was going to be canceled. I think if if season two were, were as good as season one, it would be canceled because season one is good. It's not great. Yeah. How uh, how long are long. each of the seasons? How many episodes? Eight. Yeah, they're not. I think long. one was eight. Um. Um, I don't know how long two is going to go. I think two is going to go for eight again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I really need to catch up on this show. To Yeah. Um, so that's crashing on HBO. And um, I want to just quickly go back to Versace for a bit. I know you guys haven't been um, watching it. Yeah. I believe the last episode I watched was episode four. Okay. It's yes. Yeah, so you're you're four. a little you're a little behind. But. I really, really recommend catching up on this show because the last couple episodes, I think last time we talked about it was um, episode two. So now, so you saw a random killing, which was the one yes, yes. with like the older couple in New York. Yes. And then, um, and then did you see the one after? I don't, give me a vague description of what the, I about in episode The four. one <laughs> is uh, a, a house by the lake. Which is set mainly in Minnesota. No, I have not seen that. Okay, one. so you no. saw you so saw, I saw random the, killing. Yeah, I saw a random killing. That was three. Yeah. So now there's been four and five, and four and five have been two of the best episodes of TV I've seen this year easily. I mean, this show is continually surprising me, and it's crazy that it's called the assassination of Gianni Versace, American Crime Story, because <sighs> <laughs> these last couple episodes have barely featured Johnny Versace. Yeah, and that's the thing about this show is that it's become more about Andrew Kananen, which is more of the interesting story. Exactly. So with a random killing, we spent the entire episode focus on this Jane Fonda character um, who is the wife of one of uh, Kwanin's other um, victims on his murder spree. And I was so blown away by that episode because you just... Based on the other two, the first two episodes of the show where you're just following uh, Versace and his sister and the whole world of their fashion company uh, and then uh, Andrew Quanon coming in and murdering Versace, like that's the meat of those first two episodes. And then at three, you're just dropped into this completely different story yep. about Andrew Quanon's other victim. And it's so just... Not only is it entertaining, but it's like... It's kind of jarring, though. Like, you're not expecting it whatsoever. But it works so well. And whenever I was watching episode three, I kept kind of having the thought, like, okay, this is cool. Like, just expecting it to be, like, a hard cut to Miami or something like that. Like, keep waiting for it to cut away. But we never see Gianni that entire episode. Yeah. Well, that's... I mean, I guess that's to be expected when you show the assassination in, like, ep one. Yeah. You know, you gotta gotta kind of jump around. And that's probably shows more about... Yeah, it shows more about the actual murderer, Andrew Cunanan, who's more of an interesting character. Yeah, and I'm I'm so wrapped up into this show because it's really surprised me. With ep four and ep five... It explores um, other victims of his crime spree, of his murder spree, and it's two, you know, a, a set of completely different characters that you haven't seen in the show before, and it's all, you know, great performances, and it's all great um, cinematography. So the show is continually great, even though it's introducing new players and new plot points mm. with every episode. So it's really interesting what they're doing. It's almost like it's a little anthology within an anthology <laughs> with it jumping around to these other um, 
subplots of other people that he's murdered. I'm so into it. I love this show. I can't wait to keep watching it. it I think it's about halfway there. Um, I think it's going to be ten, nine or ten episodes. Okay. Um, so we just had five and six is coming this next week. So yeah, I definitely, I definitely need to catch up on it. Y'all yeah, same. we'll we'll be um we'll be talking about it a little bit more once it wraps up, and then FX is going to move into Atlanta. Atlanta. Ew. Oh yes. yes, hell yeah, good yeah. show. Season two. All so, right. If you guys haven't watched any of Atlanta, watch through that show because we're going to be great. talking season two. Oof, it's all on Hulu. It is right one now. of the best shows in yeah. recent memories all right before we take a break let's talk real quick about chris rock tambourine yeah he has okay so chris rock netflix like they did with Chappelle and everyone else showed out a shitload of money to bring chris rock out of retirement his last special was 10 years ago and i saw it recently i think i passingly mentioned it and a lot of the, the humor yeah. aged horrifically where he is just like the first 40 minutes are all right like he he's very funny like uh, if you just hung out with him he would like kill you he's so funny but last 15 or 20 minutes basically all he's doing is just ragging on women like over and over and over and it's like that's not very funny anymore <laughs> yeah um and you know obviously it's a product of his he has a very you know poor background blah 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 like his, his raised by his grandparents and all that stuff but like at a certain point it's like i'm not laughing no yeah. like and so they brought him back and this special called Tambourine is it's sh- it's a lot better i would say it showcases his personal side for the first time literally ever he sh- he's shown his opinions over and over like that's you know he's very opinionated but he's never gotten emotionally vulnerable on stage before ever and this is the first special where he's done that and also it was directed by Bo Burnham that's the thing that drew me to it okay I don't, yeah, I don't know who contacted who to do that, but Bo Burnham's, you know, the biggest thing about his specials is they're incredibly well orchestrated. They're like a huge production. Yeah. So it's, I don't know why I didn't think about it, but it's a natural step for him to step into directing, which he also directed a uh, indie movie coming out soon. But usually with the comedy special, the directing is either just like there, like you don't really notice the shots or it's just bad. And you're like, well, that was a bad crowd yeah, you shot. You usually only notice it when it's bad. Exactly. The directing of this special is maybe the best I've ever seen for a comedy special that wasn't a Bo Burnham special because his are very involved and they're like a theatrical thing. But the lighting in the background of this is just unbelievable. It's like a bunch of lights at the bottom of the screen in this really cool semicircle pattern and then above in the same pattern pointing at each other. And that's a cool effect. And then behind those, those are all yellow lights. And then behind them coming in is a white spotlight. And it's following Chris around the whole special. And the effect... It's just, it's truly one of the most beautiful comedy specials I've ever seen. Um, and not just the lighting, but the camera work. Yeah. Too. And that's the other thing. The camera work is really, really good. Um, it not too many, maybe not any crowd shots really, which is good because you I, only see the, the crowd when it's like the shot from behind Chris yeah, that's, where you see his back. That's what it utilizes. And there's a lot of side shots too, where it's kind of like pulled away so you can see the whole audience. But I, one of my pet peeves in specials is when it just zooms in on one guy laughing and yeah. it's like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care how that guy feels. And this special solved that. Bo, 
I mean, I'm a big fan of his, but I wasn't expecting to be like, oh, that's that's really well directed because you never think that about a comedy there, special. There's one shot in particular. Yes. Where, um, yeah. I, I told you about this when it was popping up. I was like, look at this shot. Yeah, because it's crazy. It's right when he first gets personal because he talks a lot about like he, he was recently divorced mm-hmm. and he, you know, he gets kind of personal and it's pretty standard comedy. Some of it like better than others. Like it's not the best comedy. And then there's a shot where he's like, you know, I wasn't a good husband, blah, blah, blah. And it's slowly zooming in on his face and it gets really close. And right when it gets close, he's like, I cheated. And like, it's just dead silent in the room and it just follows him around. And no one's laughing for a minute on purpose because he's just genuinely saying I was fucked up. I was all up in my head and I just I cheated on my wife. And then it follows him for a minute while he's being serious. And then he tells a joke to get out of the seriousness. And that's when the shot changes to, to and it's. It's incredible. The crowd is dying. Like it's, it's kind of like a transcendent moment in the middle of a special that's not like super special. Yeah, as far as the the comedy itself, the content itself goes, I don't think it was that amazing. It definitely ends better than it starts. It wasn't. Uh, um, Chris, but- I mean, Chris Rock, much like Dave Chappelle, they're they're a product of a, a different time, and yeah. so their observations don't quite hold up anymore. Where they're being like, "Hey, women are like this, and men are like this," and it's kind of like. Things aren't black and white anymore. They were. They genuinely were. There was a time that most people followed a uniform pattern or whatever. Um, but yeah, now it's just kind of like there are some jokes where you're like, oh boy. And then there's others where you're like, that's not even true. I did enjoy Chappelle's specials a lot more just because mm. he genuinely does not give a single fuck about what anyone thinks. Yeah, and Chappelle... Chris Rock was trying a little harder to entertain and well, like welcome the audience that's, more. Yeah, that's the appeal of modern Chappelle is he is just completely informal and he does not care. Chris Rock has always been more of a, a performer. He's a joke guy. Chris Rock has a thing where he comes up with turns of phrase that just sound so good coming out of his mouth. Like he... Just little phrases to punctuate jokes. It's like, damn, that sounds good. Oh, that's catchy. He's a very catchy guy. Um, and he obviously has like a classic voice. You know, he's a great voice actor. Mm. He has great delivery. Um, and a lot of the jokes in this were still very funny. But oh, then yeah. but then some of them were just kind of not. I mean, he's very obviously r- divorced in this show. And yeah. most of the content, most of the jokes are based on his recently divorced life. He talks a lot about his kids and dealing with the custody battle, the court. Yeah. Um, and that and was the, Does he talk about like hooking up with like younger women and briefly, stuff like that? Yeah, at I the heard the very that, that was like a very like ugh thing. Well, that that's when the special gets best is when he's ta- he's this is what Bill Burr does best, who I mentioned earlier. He will tell you things that you know are wrong, and then he'll just kind of be like, I'm full of shit. Don't listen to me. I'm wrong. I'm well, not educated. It's, it's not just that. It's like, isn't that the job of a comedian? Exactly. It's like, it's their job to say shit that like other people Nobody would that's say. What I'm saying. Yeah. There, there are comedians who can get by without being controversial. Like Mulaney. He's probably the best comedian right now who is not he's controversial. He's the best like, clean comic. Exactly. Like, he's very clean. He, yeah, he'll say shit and fuck, but he's not going to bring up ideas that make you uncomfortable. When historically, that's been what comedians are for. And that's what Bill Burr currently is the best at because yeah. he has such a good way Another trick that comedians will use that Chris Rock used is making themselves wrong. He'll be like, I thought this and I was wrong and now I think this. Yeah. So you're more comfortable entertaining the idea that is wrong because he's like, it, it was wrong. And Chris Rock, when he utilizes that in the special and when he gets personal, I loved it because I mean, that's what's kind of selling right now comedically is getting very personal. Yeah. And comparing it to Chappelle again, I did enjoy Chappelle more because 
of some of the shit he says is just like it's not even jokes. Yeah. He's just speaking truths. That's the yeah, that's the difference. Chappelle is not a, a writing guy. He's not yeah. a joke guy. Chris Rock has always been a joke guy. Yeah. And he always he still has his classic delivery where he repeats things like three times. He'll be like, Women do not like men. Women don't like men. Women don't like men. Like yeah. he just not 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 that, but like yeah. he just says it three couple, different couple ways. Couple motherfuckers thrown in there. Yeah, and honestly, it works. And yeah. I've noticed that a lot of comedians like ape him on that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we got to take a break, uh, and when we get back, we're gonna be talking Alex Garland, um, specifically Annihilation. So we'll be back. So anyway, this piss I just took while you guys were talking about what the fuck ever, it, it was a lot like Call Me By Your Name, because it was 20 minutes too long, and I came after like five seconds. See, that's interesting, because I also peed during the break, and it was weird because I was coming, but I was also like peeing blood. Mm. It was very painful, but I was also orgasming, but that's much like all of my orgasms, so... Yeah, that's like the EGOT of uh, ejecting fluids, you know? If yep. you spit at the same time, you get all four. Blood, piss, cum, and uh, phlegm. But was the was the fluid refracted into different colors as it exited your body? Yeah, it was like my DNA was like combining, you know, with my own DNA. And like these crazy mushrooms were popping out of my mushroom. Yeah. True, that's that's called a that's called a kidney stone. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> I, was, I was just fucking annihilated, dude. <laughs> and then the the inside of the toilet just started like some growth. Yeah, yeah. It, it the the toilet like tied me up in a chair. Yeah, and it was like maybe you're going crazy. Maybe I'm going crazy. <laughs> All right, we're back. We bought a mic, and we're talking Annihilation, written and directed by Alex Garland. So this is a movie that's out this weekend. Uh, it's rated R. It stars Natalie Portman, and. I don't think many people are going to see it because the buzz on it is a little um, divided. A lot of people are praising it heavily, but a lot of people are hating on it. It got, well, before it got released to the public, it was getting like huge critical praise. Like critics were all loving it, but it's odd that it's coming out the week after Black Panther. Like I feel like that was a poor job by the... Uh, marketing team to release it at this date. Um, before we get started with Annihilation, I just want to talk a little bit about Ex Machina. Yeah. Because well, I just want to say, like, I, I've i been a big fan of Alex Garland. 28 Days Later is 
one of my favorite movie like zombie apocalypse yeah, movies Boyle. yeah that was, i was going to talk about his history because he's been a screenwriter long before he was a director and i didn't really he know he was a this. novelist too mm-hmm. yeah he's written books but he wrote some very notable movies that i i wasn't aware of. most notably 28 days later that was his first movie he wrote which is pretty crazy um because it was a smash and it was a you know cult hit and it's danny boyle and then he went on to write Sunshine, which people really like. Which I, I've never seen, but I've always wanted to check I out I really Sunshine. like Sunshine. Um, mm. It's one of those movies that changes genres in the third act. True. It's really crazy. I, I dig that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then he, he wrote Dread in 2012, which pe- critics liked, but I don't think it had much buzz behind it. I think Dread is actually a fun movie. Yeah, um, people... it, That movie gets a ton of shit. Like, so much shit. It was a box office bomb like it had a pretty huge budget, I believe, and it did not make yeah. a ton of money, especially domestically. I think it made more money uh, in the foreign market. But um, then he came out with his directorial debut of Ex Machina. Yeah, this was in 2014, and, and this was a really, really good movie. Yeah, I, I, I just have to say, like, so I rewatched this movie this past week, and I think Ex Machina blue. is one of on blue. Um, I rewatched it this past week, and I think Ex Machina is. One of the best sci-fi movies of the last of the 21st century. I think that it's in my top three, top five favorite sci-fi movies. Wow! Like I fucking love Ex Machina so much. It's a movie that's kind of made for me because, of course, like I have a huge love for film, and I'm minoring in cognitive sciences, so like philosophy, psychology, that kinds of things. And Ex mm. Machina battles with those things and what it is to be a sentient being in the perfect ways. The ways. The, the way that Ex Machina delivers exposition is perfect. It's so gorgeous. It's so organic. Nothing ever feels forced. It never feels like it's a character talking at the audience. Mm-hmm. With Ex Machina, it's kind of like something I said earlier. It's not like a Black Mirror episode. Like, it's a Black Mirror no, that's episode. What, and I was talking about that with Ernest, is that Ex Machina feels the most like if you gave a Black Mirror episode a big budget and gave it a full like runtime a full yeah. 90 100 minute runtime. it's just it's so tonally it is exactly that if that's if you like black mirror just watch ex machina it's like a free episode of black mirror yeah. like it's crazy it's, how similar it's better than any black mirror episode because it has the full length uh the feature length time to really sink its claws into these themes even though you know um, Ex Machina doesn't go as deep as it could with some of these themes. The fact that it presents so many of them in such a uh, beautiful, digestible way, I really, really enjoy. I mean, this movie, uh, like you said, it tackles consciousness. It even tackles like gender and sexuality. Yeah, sexuality is a huge theme in uh, Ex Machina. And it's only three actors in a single kind of house, just a couple of sets, Bill, and... It, it it really feels like a, uh, a like a character study, but you're really following Domino Gleason's character. Yeah. Um. But he's playing off of Ava, and he's playing off of Oscar Isaac's yeah. character. So essentially, the plot of the movie is that Domino Gleason is just he's working for some big computer conglomerate company, and he is randomly selected supposedly for this test with like the owner of the company. Is that right? He like he's like the mastermind. Yeah, it's like a it. Google type. 
yeah thing. so he ends up going to this dude's like personal place which is like an insanely nice very cool setting somewhere in the mountains yeah it looks like it's in the pacific Canada, northwest or Canada something or some yeah exactly and it turns out that this new project that the owner's been working on is a robot that can pass the turing test which is the test to see if it's actually a human or not so essentially he's just put through he his job is to determine whether or not this robot can pass the human test and it just gets increasingly disturbing kind of what's happening until it you know crescendos and this movie takes many twists and turns um i don't want to get too much into spoilers or anything but the first time i watched it um i really liked this movie a lot but i didn't love the ending and after watching it second or third time i was like okay i i it all clicks for me this movie i think is incredibly tight um to your point about they could have gone a little bit deeper i'm almost glad that they didn't because this is a movie that it provides questions that they don't give not only do they not give you the answers to they leave that up to your own interpretation but they give you enough questions that make you ask questions of your own which is what totally agree which is what's so great about this movie i think this movie is like a 9.5 out of 10 like i fucking love it gives you it gives you enough so that you're you leave the movie thinking about everything that's presented to you and you don't feel like anything was half-baked because there's enough there to sort of mull over and like make your own opinions about all of the big big ideas that are presented i mean in that way it's it's another similarity to black mirror where it, it doesn't end on the most like conclusive note necessarily but it does make you just think and it, it leaves you a little unsettled also extremely similar to the very end of annihilation not to spoil too much but i'm a little bit lower on it than you guys i have a take that i've been sitting on okay i think Domhnall gleason is overrated i really? i have never been compelled by Domhnall you ever seen, gleason you ever seen frank uh yeah I've I have never been like moved by him. I think he's good, but like watching him in Ex Machina, I'm not fully bought into like him being the surrogate for me. I'm like I don't know. I'm just I think a lot of it kind of has to do with when he has to. Is he an American in Ex Machina? I don't yeah. remember. Yep. Part of it kind of that bothers me, and it does serve as kind of like a buffer for acting when you have to focus on an accent sometimes, but. I still, this is a really good movie. Like, I can't disagree with that, but I just wasn't, it's very small. I, I wouldn't say it's better than any Black Mirror. There are definitely Black Mirrors that I like better than Ex Machina. I, I really think that this movie benefits so much with how small it is, with its big ideas and just the small setting that it's in. It, it's a perfect balance of filmmaking and a hell of a debut for Ga- uh, Alex Garland. Yeah, that's yeah, the bigger takeaway from the movie is cuz a lot of screenwriters try to direct and it sucks. <laughs> and he his first directing job he nailed it. Yeah. I mean this movie won best visual effects over Star Wars over Mad yeah. Max. It's a hard thing to do that transition and a lot of people fail and Ex Machina was a success. And the effect of Ava is a beautiful it's so effect. gorgeous and you, i can't believe and alicia vikander actually got a nomination just for yeah, her supporting she ended up role. winning for some other film um, uh for um the danish the, girl, the danish girl. Yeah. yeah that was it but um yeah she got two nominations that year i just this movie was kind of a come out party for Domhnall and for oscar isaac who is perfect in this movie and they play off each other perfectly a couple months before the force right Awakens. before yeah it's yeah. their pre-star wars like they're they're meeting together it's it's funny to see these two characters in a movie together playing opposite factions yeah. and then they do the same thing in star wars but on 
just this much more grandiose I, scale. I love how menacing Oscar Isaac is in this movie. Um, because he's trying so hard to be friendly and right. welcoming and to his And the whole guest. time you never trust him exactly. at all. And then you still don't really know by the end whether or not he was doing the right thing. And that's right. what's so great about this movie. I Yeah, I love Oscar Isaac, on the other hand, from Domino. I've never seen Oscar Isaac and been disappointed. I think yeah. that dude nails everything. He's one of the best actors of our time. I mean, have you guys seen Inside Lewin Davis? Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah, I... I love that movie. It's, it's a great, great film. He's played, yeah, he's played a lot of different dynamic roles and he's yeah. done well every time. And this was a tough one because like when I see Oscar Isaac, I want to root for him, you know? And in this movie, you don't. And like, oh, not at you're all. You're not even really tempted to. You're, like, he does a good job. You're actually a little terrified by yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. You're even scared. when he's when he's pulling those sweet, sweet dance moves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dancing with the sex bot. Yeah, that's a great scene. That it really is. Yeah. There's so many just moments that just like stick in my head from this movie that's one of the reasons why i love it so much i mean of course like i said this movie is kind of made for me just with what the concepts that this movie deals with but also just in the performances the iconic shots let's talk about the score really quickly by uh, ben salisbury and um jeff let me just pull it up real quick. <coughs> Should have had the ready. Joff Barrow. Wow, wow, wow. Um, these are the by. same guys who were on, um, who worked with uh, Alex Garland on Annihilation. Yeah, which and has one of the best scores I've ever heard. It, the Annihilation score is amazing, but I also feel like the Ex Machina score is pretty underrated. It just, is. It, there's there's one a of the specific best moment. Of the Without again, without getting into spoilers, where a character gets stabbed and you just this booming synth comes chiming in, and it is such a great. Every time I see it, despite seeing this movie like four or five times, every time I see it, I get chills. It's yeah, moment. Score is one of the more underrated elements of like any movie. I feel like, but it's so important. Yeah, people don't think about it, but with that scene specifically, if you put that on mute, you would feel differently. And that's the mark of a really great score. I felt the same way during Annihilation. I was, I was like, if this was on mute, I would not feel this way. So uh, Alicia Vikander was actually not nominated for an Oscar for this film, but um, the other nomination that it did get was Best Original Screenplay. Mm. And the screenplay is so It's so tight. tight. So yeah. tight. That's yeah. what's so great about this movie. It's only an hour and 48 minutes long. Beautiful. Doesn't need to be too long to we'll get into some of my issues i had with annihilation but one of the one of those was the runtime that it felt longer than the movie actually was and in ex machina everything flows together and it perfectly. builds and it, it builds. all it's a perfect crescendo this entire movie and all the moments all the big moments the character moments specifically with dom hall that occur in the last act of the film feel so earned because the pacing has been so deliberate mm-hmm. and it's been so such a slow buildup to this climactic moment um several climactic moments actually that occur in the last few minutes of the film that uh, are so effective and really just make you ponder about yourself and yep. your own existence and your own consciousness. It deals with a lot of the exact same themes as Westworld does. Yeah. Um, with at what point is a robot basically human? Yeah. I can't wait to talk about Westworld. When yeah, it comes I know. Back. <laughs> I miss you guys Westworld. Have, you guys have any last thoughts before we move on to Annihilation? Uh, no, I mean, I just, I can't recommend this movie enough. I was actually kind of surprised that I didn't think Ex Machina made money, but it did actually turn a profit while it was in oh, theaters. Cool. Um, just because it doesn't seem like it's a huge, it, it, it the production budget was only Fifteen million dollars, which is incredible, which is kind of incredible when you consider yeah. the visual effects that take place on this. I mean, it came out in but, April. 
So that's kind of like right before um, like summer yeah, Marvel summertime. season. And I mean, it made $10 million. Domestic gross was uh, 25 mil. So it did make some money. Um, once again, I mean, if you have any interest in kind of the idea of sentience and what it means to be alive and to be human, I can't recommend this movie enough to people. Yeah, and you know, a lot of um, a lot of the themes in this movie are sort of linked to the themes in Annihilation a little bit. Um, and this movie, it really makes you consider. Uh, well, okay. So first, I'll say like you you said that this movie is definitely going to fit into the pantheon of sci-fi as like one of the best of all time. I think that Annihilation definitely deserves that same recognition whether or not you think it worked for you i think that objectively it is it is fitting to be right up there with alien and aliens i was 2001 i think the difference between ex machina and annihilation is it's a difference of lows and highs i think ex machina is incredibly solid all the way through and it does have a crescendo i think the difference between how you feel in the beginning and the end of Annihilation, because I, it, there was a point in Annihilation where I was like, all right, come on. And then it, by the mm. end, I think the crescendo kind of exploded in my face a little more where it was just like, yeah, I, I'm so excited to talk about this movie. So let's just give like overall thoughts before we get in, into spoilers. Uh, this movie's out in theaters right now. You can go see it. Please go see it if you like movies. Because, you know, you may have differing opinions, but it's worth seeing on the big screen just to experience the the art of this film. It's breathtaking. It's gorgeous. It's terrifying and unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really a lot to take in with this film, and I'm so glad that Alex Garland delivered with it. That's Yeah, my biggest takeaway is that I... I am just happy a movie like this was made because it's extremely ambitious. It doesn't succeed everything it tries to do. That that much is true. Like I said, there were points where I was almost out. Not quite, but there were points where I was like, I'm not super into this right now. But by the end of it, you, you can't deny that certain things it does, like specifically the visual effects and the crescendo of how you're feeling are among the best I've ever seen or felt during a movie. Um, so it's, it's a movie of highs and lows, but I'm just happy a movie like this can still get made, even though it's like extremely not for everyone, extremely strange, extremely experimental. Yeah. And it's a movie that should be experienced on the largest screen possible because Paramount, uh, sold the international rights to Netflix. So anyone outside of the United States will just be seeing this at home on their phone or on their computer or on their TV. And And that just doesn't do it justice. It doesn't do it justice because some of the imagery in this film is really unparalleled to most films out right now. Like we mm. just saw Black Panther and there's nothing in a, in Annihilation that is as like, um, or there's, I guess I should say there's nothing in Black Panther that is as captivating as Annihilation. Like there's some imagery in Annihilation that I just wanted to, I, I almost wanted to, get sucked into this nightmare world of the film just so I could look at like the horrifying shit that was happening in here. Some of it is beautiful too. So, um, I just want to quickly say, because I did talk about how much I love ex machina. So I'm not going to lie. I know that I'm a little bit lower on this than you guys, especially with you, Ernest. I don't know directly your thoughts, Drew, but, um, 
Ernest and I did go see this at a screener together, so we saw it ahead of the rest of the world. So fuck you guys, we're better than you. <laughs> Twenty four um, hours, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so we uh, saw this movie a little bit early, and I honestly was a little bit disappointed whenever I first saw it. I do think that the end of this movie is absolutely incredible. Everything that happens in the lighthouse just want to say is like fucking unbelievable but i did have some serious problems with pacing in this movie um once yet yet again i will say like i do still recommend this movie to people i did still really enjoy it i do though have some pretty serious quibbles with how the story is told because there are moments that it is just being so ambitious and it is going so far out there that it's going to lose people. But yet there's a certain narrative device that we'll talk more specifically about in spoilers where it's like it's always like cutting into that ambition a little bit. It's just like, all right, well, we got to pull the audience back in real quick. So let's do this whole device yeah. to kind of keep everybody still in it. And I would have appreciated the movie so much more if we would have not had those scenes at all. Yeah, I, I agree with that, but at the end of the day, I maybe I need to see Ex Machina again, but I just feel like I liked Annihilation more by the end of it. Yeah, if if we're still comparing the two films, I think that Ex Machina succeeds a little more in telling the story it's trying to tell because yeah. it's a little bit more straightforward. It's definitely a smaller film. There's not too much going on in terms of setting or action. Um and as far as the themes go and the approach to those themes, Ex Machina is a little bit more on the nose about all these themes. And it's tackling things a little bit more straight on. Yeah. The way Annihilation tackles its themes, it's so abstract. It's way more, you know, I guess you could say through a prism that all these themes are tackled. <laughs> and with, with Ex Machina, you know, we do have to think a lot about everything but we don't have to look through any sort it's, of yeah that's an, so any I, sort of okay, um, I, obstruction through I, I find it odd that you say that ex machina is on the nose just because i do think that ex machina doesn't really provide you answers to the question that it asks all the time where well, with this i will say it is trademark pending Honestly, visually mm. stunning, but there are moments where I feel like we could have dug into deeper ideas and it kind of sacrifices those ideas to give you really trippy images. Yeah. I mean, I, I could say the same about Ex Machina. Ex Machina could have dug a little bit deeper. I, into that themes. was honestly my main issue with it is it's just like just like kind of the issue I have with a lot of Black Mirror is it. You don't have to guess the theme. Maybe it doesn't answer the question, but the entire movie is about the one theme. Like, yeah. what if what if people was robot? <laughs> what if robot was people? Yeah, ex exactly. Yeah, there, it doesn't stray from that. Um, I think I think Ex Machina is it's like in baseball terms, it's shooting for a triple and it hits a triple. I think Annihilation, whether or not you think it succeeds, is going for the fucking fences with what it's doing. Exactly. Like, that's, it's trying to, like, blow your fucking head off. Drew, that's your third sports analogy of the day. You're you're out. <laughs> strike three. You're, you're, yeah, strike, you're out. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's your strike one. Then. <laughs> okay. The, the, the thing that really makes Annihilation resonate so much with me is the fact that it is so close to being just, like, an art house film, like, some straight-up experimental shit. Um, I, I mean, I could compare this movie to Under the Skin. I don't, I don't mm. want to spoil. Anything I definitely yet. do. I definitely see that comparison a lot. But yeah, it like, like Under the Skin is 
a straight up fucking ex- almost experimental art house movie. And your complaint about the um, the narrative device that kind of takes you out of it, it makes it so this movie is a little bit more accessible to um, mainstream audiences. Because if it didn't have that, it would lose people yeah. completely. But I would just wish it would have committed to that. Like, for example, Blade Runner 2049 knew it was going to lose people with its runtime, with its long takes. It didn't, Denis didn't give a shit. And Denis it was a financial failure. Yeah, but Denis did not give a fuck about that. He wanted to make exactly the vision yeah. that he had. Oh, and you. I... I do kind of criticize this movie a little bit because it wasn't able to dive fully into it. Um, I don't want to come down too hard in this movie because I did still really enjoy it, but my favorite aspect about this movie, the the idea that it tackles, is the idea of self-destruction. That's what it's all about. And that is where this movie flies for me, is just in those little moments where... It's this idea where people just kind of say, oh, you know, like dying, self-destruction, that's just part of human nature. But that's inherently a flaw with our genes. Like, then nobody actually considers that that's a genetic flaw that we have and there is a way to get past that. So let's do spoilers now. Before we get into spoilers, though, um, I just want to say that this movie, I've seen this movie twice now with the screening and last night um, when we went all together downtown. This, the... The first time I saw it, it didn't even occur to me that this is a movie that stars all women in the core cast. Yeah. It, it didn't even pass my mind that we're seeing an all-female main cast going into this shimmer uh, place. And then the second time I saw it, um, I noticed a, a little joke that happens right before they go in. Yeah, where they kind of like touch all, on it. Yeah, the other ones were all men. Well, they died. Yeah, yeah, and Natalie Portman's like, so it's all women going in? And they're like, no, it's all scientists. And, you know, this movie, it doesn't really make it a thing that it's all women. No, it never is trying it's to be like a social that. justice thing, which I yeah. did. I will say the cast on this movie is awesome. I thought that Natalie Portman did a great job. I'm not a, the biggest Natalie Portman fan in all of her work. I, mm. For the most part, I think that she's pretty good, but I do think that she kind of overacts sometimes. Um but I thought that she performed excellently in this movie. I thought Tessa Thompson was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the other two women who uh, the other actresses' names, but they were already Jane really good. the Virgin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tatiana and, um, Maslany, and uh, also Oscar Isaac in a limited role. I thought was phenomenal. Yeah, there are very there are only a couple of scenes throughout the entire movie that establish Natalie Portman and Oscar Isaac's uh, relationship with each other, and you buy into those scenes. Yeah, you absolutely buy it because they have fantastic chemistry. Jennifer together. Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee was amazing in this movie. Like I thought, Jennifer Jason Lee was one of the major highlights. Yeah, that's she is in this movie encapsulated to me because in the beginning I was like, I don't know why she is in this, and then by the end I was like. Yeah, like, I think having, a, having a seizure. The performances all around are great. The visuals are again stunning. Honestly, yeah. and uh, the story itself it is based on a novel by Jeff Vandermeer, uh, and actually he based the story off of a walk through the St. Mark's Wildlife Refuge near Tallahassee. Oh, that's cool. So you can yeah. draw some similarities. Well, the Shimmer but... does take place like probably an hour south from Tallahassee, yeah. which is pretty cool. Yeah, um, and. I think where this movie starts to lose people is with its abstract approach to visualizing and driving home all the themes in here. Um, we don't really get a big monologue speech that sort of explains everything. We do get um, certain things that explain 
different aspects of the story, but overall, we kind of have to make our own conclusions as to what's really happening mm-hmm. with the crazy sci-fi sci-fi shit here, and that's why I love this movie, and I think it it is. I, I would recommend it if you enjoy cinema and sci-fi um, because it is so ambitious and it is trying to be something different and new and unique. But I don't think that the movie is going to resonate overall for mainstream audiences at all. If I, you're just a casual fan and the Black Panther showing that you wanted to go to was sold out, I don't know if this is the best recommendation yeah. for a film for you. Like, there was a, whenever at the screener that we went to, there was an older couple sitting next to us. And like at the the end man, of the movie. yeah, the man was like, "Well, that was horrible." <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then when we left our screening, I was I was on the way to the bathroom, and this one guy walks out, and he's talking to his friend. He's like, "Well, that was definitely interesting." <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, yeah, let's, let's do spoilers. Let's get into spoilers, guys. Okay. So if you okay. haven't seen it, go see it and come spoilers. back. Spoilers. So, okay, let's just talk. I just want to quickly talk about because you brought up something about there is no exposition monologue thing. They don't have a monologue. But throughout the entire movie, we have these flash forwards where she's basically doing an interview, like narrating exactly her journey, which I fucking hate when movies do that. I hate with everything I have. And this is why. Because, for one, it takes away any suspense that anybody else on this crew is going to stay alive. So, like, you're kind of like, all right, so I guess I don't need to give a shit about anybody else on this journey with them. I mean, I did just because it's good acting along the way, but you, you know, know, you know everybody's going to it. die. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's so, it's okay, undercut so all of the ambition. Grant of the read film. the book, and that's the book. So I guess you wouldn't like the book. No, but I mean, I feel like, okay, well, here's the thing is that, and I was talking about this with Grant, is that whole, that way of telling a story works in a book. It works in a book. But it doesn't work in film. In the it, um, in the it book, it's like while all of these things are happening, Mike is. I think yeah, Mike Hamlin is like he's the only person left in the town of Derry. I'm kind of butchering this because I haven't actually read all of it, but I know it's kind of uses similar narrative devices, and they don't have that in the. They're probably not going to have that in the new movie of it where they're all adults. Like, just because that whole, it doesn't work in film. It doesn't, it's not as dramatic. He, I didn't have as big of an issue with that in the beginning. This is just a tale of two different movies for me. The first half of this movie, A, I, okay, this is something I've never said about a movie before, but I'm going to say it for this one. There's too much backstory. There really is. It's, I was just like, let's just hurry up and get in the fucking well, shimmer. When it keeps jumping back to the well, bedroom. Well, yeah, and also even when they're in the shimmer, they're, it's like, you're in there, bro. Like, you can't talk about your your fun life anymore. Like, no, you're in the fucking shimmer. And they're, like, they're on this lake that they know is infested with these shark alligator things, and they're just, like, chatting about their lives, and it's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> so there's, it has some zombie movie issues that, like, every zombie movie has, where you're, like, you're frustrated with what they're doing. There's just certain decisions that they make where you're, like, that is the 
objectively that's the incorrect choice that you're making right now so you get frustrated because it's like we talk about with green room it's such a great movie because they're smart and they're still getting fucked over these people aren't acting very smart the entire decision to send very small groups into the shimmer with like no hazmats no body armor or anything yeah is stupid how do, how do they dumb. know if they've had no communication to the outside how do they know like oh the air in there's just fine to breathe exactly it's they like could the just die the co- second it's the they alien get in covenant there. problem where it's like oh we're just gonna land on this foreign plate and this foreign I- yeah so so initially i did have a hard time buying in just because of these issues Um, do you think that they should have given us a little bit of exposition as to the studies that they've done to the air in the shimmer because the shimmer has been there for three years so you get the idea that they must have been studying it sacrificed scenes i was expecting more scenes like that and instead we got more scenes this movie had kind of an obsession with every character's reason for being there, which and was I totally unnecessary. I didn't, yeah, I didn't see. I like, I get that there's a significance there, but it spent way too much time on that when really it should have spent time on the scientific reasons that they're there instead of like, well, personally, I'm an addict, so that's why I'm. Here. Yeah, I. W- it's like, well, who cares? Okay, well, to that point, I actually thought the whole scene. Uh, I mean, I do understand the flaws with that scene, but the whole scene where they're actually on the boat together and talking about it, everybody is damaged goods. I thought that was the best part of backstory that was told. I The entire time, like the first 20, 30 minutes of the movie where it's all just Natalie Portman's home life and everything else that weird is happening, like I just thought that all took way too long like That's, you should okay. have turned that time and, down like half. And I do, it is a good theme that there are all these people are either self-destructive or they're internally destructing like uh jennifer jason lee ends up having cancer and that's why they're all there like i get that that's like very thematically important but i wanted more information as to what they're doing there and like the specifics as to why they don't have fucking hazmats on or what exactly their plan is whenever they get to the lighthouse because that's never made clear there's like we're gonna go to the source yeah and then we're gonna come back and you're like well what are you gonna do whenever you're at the source that's exactly what i'm saying it just it has classic zombie movie trope issues where you're like why are you doing that don't do that like (laughs) well communications have been down every time they send a team in there so they don't know anything that happens when in there and they just keep on sending and the, well, small the way, teams the way that i inferred it i mean this they don't explain this in the film but the way i inferred it is that since it's been three years then you get the idea that they did send in teams with hazmat suits in the beginning but then as they studied it and as they learned like what was happening around it as the as it was expanding they were just like well fuck it like everyone's dying so you know what's the fucking point so all of these women that are going in there of course they're trying to self-destruct because it's been three years of failures after failures so they know that they're doomed if they go in there so anyway yeah so that's essentially maybe the first half of the movie like that and then the movie it takes a turn because for that first half i was like what is everyone talking about with the visuals of this movie because basically all it had in the first half was some bright like trippy and trippy skies yeah and then like maybe three different colors of light coming down and mushrooms and then like i mean the shots are beautiful yeah and it looks good but it's not it's not that spectacular and then there's the first creature we see, the alligator, I thought was pretty shit. It yeah. looks bad. Like, yeah. that's why I, I have to say, I think that the CGI itself is mostly good, but I can't say it's all well, great. Well, that, that alligator was bad, so I was like, well, this is this might be a flop. That's what I was saying the first half. I was like, this might go bad. And then it finally, the movie decides to focus on what it does exactly the best, which is the tension that it creates, the visuals that it's capable of, because like 
the second half of this movie, if you watch the first half, you would not see how incredible it's going to look coming. It has a complete... It's like two different people were shooting it almost. It's like, holy shit. Everything that happens in the lighthouse, I was so into that shit. Wow. Oh, yeah. I it mean, was that so whole, good. I, I can't... Just everything about that, which um, I actually... Uh, I highly recommend that you guys listen to it on the Big Picture uh, Channel 33 podcast. Uh, Sean Fancy Day interview with Alex Garland. And he talks about... The one who plays the uh, the humanoid alien creature in the lighthouse, it's a dancer, and there's actually like a lot of choreography that happens in that yeah. scene because I mean, it's yeah. all very it's ballet like. Natalie Portman's husband is the the um, Black Swan guy. The mm. I mean Oscar Isaac. No, no, no. In, in Black Swan, you <laughs> yeah. know she was yeah, a ballerina yeah. in Black Swan, yeah. so she married the choreographer for that film. I'm pretty sure. And so, like, but you can really. That I, I will talk about the ending because that is by far the best part of the exactly. movie. Um, whenever she goes down, finds Jennifer Jason Lee looking like the fucking Asian woman in Twin Peaks yes. that, with that no eyes. Shit. That was when I was like, I am so glad Jennifer Jason Lee's in this. In the beginning, I was like, she is overdoing it with this like character who's always he never makes eye contact and mumbles she's everything. Yeah. Sad, and then at the like end, this. that's exactly who her character needed to be in the first place. And that scene is unbelievable. Even going before that, I really enjoyed the... Uh, Alex Garland has a thing he did in Ex Machina also, where scenes, very tense scenes take a lot longer than you think they would in any other movie. Yeah, he drags them out. Yeah, like the hall- but just enough. Exactly. The hallway scene in Ex Machina is like five minutes probably. And like in any other movie, that's like 30 seconds, I feel like, even if it's trying to be tense. Yeah. And in this movie, there's so many scenes like that. The scene where they're all tied up and the bear thing is coming at them is so long and it still works. It's like, God damn. Like, and the bear looked great. And it's more importantly, I think it sounded great. Yeah, that was the most terrifying shit is that it was almost like a hyper evolution yeah. thing where like mm. it it absorbed the the last like uh and fight or flight thing, screaming of so its it heard victims. the scream of the last victim it heard yeah. and now like you can hear the scream. That's why somebody goes one of the characters goes into like a panic. They're just like, Oh my god, she's still alive. But I did think the whole uh, concept where I re- need to pull up the cast in front of me, but when her character turns on the team, I found that incredibly, I found her that incredibly predictable because earlier yeah. in the film, they already established like, Oh, some of the people on the last crew went mad and they started killing but each she other. She has a good line. Wonder if that's going to happen on this crew too. But, but she has a good line where she's sort of wondering like, am I going crazy? Like she doesn't even know. She doesn't even yeah. know yeah. she's losing her own shit. That was, I think the final horror trope. Of the movie, yeah, <laughs> you know? that, that was the final one where it. But was But then like, her fucking bottom jaw gets like but what, bared. Uh, that yeah, was yeah. brutal. That no, was and that's that's why that whole scene looks so good because everything's dark. Where I think it was a poor directing choice to have that whole crocodile shark thing attack in the, them in, in the broad daylight. And make it so visible. They could have yeah, just made yeah. it like at nighttime. They were camping out, or like just hide near it in the water. Place. Yeah, yeah. So but, okay, what do you guys think? Of just straight up the science of what they're explaining is happening in this place. I thought it was a little hand wavy. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it, exactly. Shaky it was at a best. little. Yeah, they kind of like mold over. You it get a that one bit. moment where Tessa Thompson's like, "It's refracting everything. It's yeah. refracting our DNA." <laughs> That's that that whole that was. I mean, as much as I love Tessa Thompson's character in this, that was the most like, "All right, come on." Like, I don't. I love Tessa Thompson. I don't really love her character in this. I think. She, well, her I, last moment, her last scene is that so. Is that was awesome. That is so beautiful. great. She just walks out. And, and be- becomes one of yeah, those plant. Yeah, becomes a flower person. Yeah. <laughs> that, w- that was some cool shit, but I think... 
overall, this is more a movie about what happens and less about the secondary characters. It is about the primary characters very much so. And that's why I do not really care about the flash forwards to the interrogation sequence because it's not about whether or not they make it. It's about the shit that went down in there. So you knowing how it plays out and each time it jumps back forward in time to that, you're reminded it, it it very specifically chooses to jump forward in time at a moment in the story where you need to be reminded like, Hey, everyone's fucked. Remember they are all fucked. Yes. And I understand that, but I do think that it's a detriment to the film when you consider that it, I, I know that this this book that it's based off of is part of a trilogy, and so I almost I I don't know if in future books they get more into it on the science of everything, but I feel like that makes for a worse film in that like we have no idea what the fuck is going on, and it doesn't really make and it would, the more that you think about what's happening and what they're doing, it makes less sense. Well, Grant explained to me that in the book it it, it almost explains even less, and it's even more like confusing and abstract and oblique as to what is actually happening because in the film you do get a shot of a meteor crashing down into earth and in the books you don't even get there's like an underground tower but i if they were going to do that then then i would have rather them go full david lynch and make it like ambiguous as fuck and have nothing explained (laughs) no because again it's it's teetering the line between ambition and trying to be a populist movie i you know i agree like i like i said i think there's too much backstory i think there are certain points where it flashes back and it's like once you're in that fucking hellscape i don't care when you go back (laughs) like there's a certain point where i I see her fucking again and i'm like i get it also natalie portman fucks weird natalie portman fuck really weird so slow sex with natalie portman is just her moving her back and nothing (laughs) else um but anyway, I, I mean, I did like the flashback that showed that she cheated and had the self-destruction metaphor going on. But the most interesting thing that I learned from Grant about the book is that in the book, she actually does like she's looking at a plant or something and it squirts something at her. And yeah, so the, she actually the there's moss this, on the wall. Yeah, So the there's fungus. a sign that she's different. And I, the entire movie, I was wondering why it didn't have a scene just like that because it has the zombie movie trope of everyone's acting like she was the one that got bitten. Well, we even get the though moment, she, we get even the though moment, she didn't do anything. We get the moment where she cuts herself open and she looks at her blood in the microscope. Yeah, yeah. And she sees it refracting. It is, yeah, she does have the special DNA, but it's not like how we get with Oscar Isaac's character at the end of the movie where that's like obviously not him. Yeah. That is the humanoid version, alien yeah, version of him. it's very different. Where with... Um, we're with Natalie Portman's character. Like that's still her. Like there's something yeah. like, weird going on with her, but it's that's ju- still her. It's just, this is why I think that Alex Garland chose to go with the angle of everyone's reason for being there because that makes it so they, I guess they would all turn against uh, her and Natalie Portman because she, you know, it's her man or whatever. Mm. But realistically, I think it would have been a better movie if they showed the scene of her getting bitten in quotes yeah just because the whole metaphorical you know theme of like yeah well you have the least reason to be here so i don't trust you that doesn't really follow if they're all really in the shimmer they don't give a shit about motivation yeah for being in the shimmer I, that's stupid i do agree that for the bulk of the film you're kind of wondering what the point of all this is and if it's ever going to pay off but for okay, me so let's yeah fucking pays so yeah we need to get so into well. the ending because that was some of 
that was one the best ending to a movie maybe I've seen. It's some shit straight out of <laughs> 2001 where she's staring into this orb that Jason Je- Jennifer Jason Lee has become because she's like she explodes into this, this like golden particle shower and then she turns into like a fractal like so what do you think actually happens to jennifer jason because jennifer jason lee gets the lighthouse first and then maybe it's her doppelganger no yeah but then that would mean that she would have already had to be there because as we saw with natalie portman it has to like see you to become you yeah or take something from you yeah um i yeah i think i mean regardless of how all this happens she ends up there and she, you know, she gives the monologue where she explains that she has just truly given herself over to this. That's another one of the themes is just surrendering yourself to the, you know, whatever this life form is and what it wants, which is, you know, just like impulse. You surrender yourself yeah. to it. You let it become you and you let it control you. And so once she surrenders herself, she is transformed into the maybe the best visual effect I've seen in a movie. <laughs> Like the top, the top. whole mirror the mirror thing the mirror version of herself or the orb no the orb that yeah, is that orb of, is beautiful and then it has the zoom shot where you see the cells dividing yeah. and it's just I the, well the whole design of that whole underground cave with yeah, the walls exactly. morphing and moving that, so gorgeous top, top five things I've ever seen in a movie and it took a minute for me to admit that because leading up to that I was a bit hesitant about and the it's whole thing. terrifying it's unsettling and it's very comfortable yeah it's unbelievably unsettling because I mean just going up to it where she finds uh, Oscar Isaac's yeah. dead body and she sees the video that's very well done oh yeah and the 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 shot of like the butthole in the lighthouse <laughs> with all the shit coming out of it and then she yeah. walks into exactly the, the cave that i thought that was very well done and she goes in and i thought that entire scene because i was i mean i'm i tend to be cynical when i watch movies and i had been previously with the movie but during that entire sequence maybe the last 30 minutes of the movie none of that mattered it, it made me forget every issue i had and i was just yeah. in that moment and i love how when when jennifer jason lee explodes mm. and she's like convulsing it it it's like corny, but then yeah. it goes. That's the thing. It goes long enough that you're like, "Oh, this movie is going for That's it. A, it." Yeah. At first, I was like, "That looks a little ridiculous," and then it's just like, "It keeps I, going." I just, yeah, you're right. I just appreciate it. Just went fucking balls out, and I wish it had maybe done that a little earlier in the yeah. film, which is, I think, what you're saying. Yeah, Hunter. that's kind of what I'm getting at. Where it's kind of like people. <laughs> the the comparison I can think of it is people who saw Split this last year and saw it, and they were like, "Oh my god!" But that ending, though. Like, who cares about all the problems earlier in the movie? Like, that fucking ending, though. Like, that's kind of the way that I feel. Like, yes, I was fully enveloped in that ending. Like, I love that ending. But now being outside of the theater and I can think about the entire movie as a whole, I just, I can't forget about the first hour and 40 minutes of the movie that I saw. Like, Mm. I still have serious problems with how it is. And once again, I mean, like I said before with Ex Machina, I think that's a movie that definitely benefits from multiple viewings. I've only seen Annihilation one time, so my opinion of it might change more after seeing it second or third time. Um, I definitely want to def- see this movie again while it's in theaters just Me because too. the sound is so big. That's Okay, that's another thing. Like I said earlier, sound design tends to be underappreciated. You can't miss it in this movie. This it movie is, is... It's one of the top... Like, visuals and sound are what it does best, and, easily. And, like, the score is pretty diverse too in that it starts with whenever they're just like going on their little journey in the beginning of the shimmer it's almost like an alt j like acoustic guitar sound mm-hmm. like playing in the background and then by the end of the movie we have the whole like boom, 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 
Yeah. And that that whole like it just it reverberates your bones in your body and you watch it while seeing this crazy alien creature standing there. I I can't I can't say enough about the sound and the visuals of this movie. I just can't it's just a lot of I just wish that it would have either gone for one thing or the other like either go art house ambition or try and be a blockbuster sci-fi movie i do agree that this is a movie that was confused about what it wanted to be i just like i know yeah i i walk out and i am like i had issues but i still am affected by this movie in a way that i kind of wasn't with ex machina i was kind of like i get it like i understand i understand the extent of what this movie is trying to say with Annihilation, it fucked up my whole night. Like, last night, <laughs> I was I was really fucked up last night afterward. Like, I was like, what do I even do right now? I was, I was like, playing video games. Like, this, nothing makes sense. I, it just, it really, not in even, not in a way that I could even, like, put into words it affected me. Because if I put it into words, I would be like, well, that's not really that heavy. This, these, yeah. these concepts aren't super heavy. But just the, the feeling it produced was a special one for me that... I haven't seen a movie that's quite made me feel like that. It was a mix of unsettled and horrified and confused and weird. Mesmerized. Yeah, it was dirty. <laughs> it just by the end of it, it it worked. And it, you know, it takes a lot out of a movie to make me f- feel something new, I think. Especially like a sci-fi movie like this, especially like a sci-fi horror movie like this because this movie, you know, they could have adapted this book in a very simple way that's just trying to be like predator or alien or something like that like this could have easily been predator with girls and it's not that it's trying to be something new and thought-provoking and really like out there while still being a movie that general audiences could potentially enjoy i mean one of my favorite filmmakers is shane carruth he made primer which is one of the most difficult to follow movies yeah. ever. That's you have to yeah. watch that movie like 11 times That's to get it. Shit. Yeah. And then he made Upstream Color, which is even more so, confusing. So art house. Because yeah. Upstream Color is, is a movie that is so ahead of its time because it tells a story without telling a story mm. like at all. There's like pretty much no narrative thread in that. And Shane Ruth, like, he doesn't care about making his movies accessible. He doesn't give a shit about any of that. Upstream Color could never play in cinemas and, and theaters across the nation or the world because nobody would like it. It would it would be like, what the mm. fuck is this shit? You know, there's pigs and worms and shit? Like, what? Annihilation is a version of that kind of experimental art house movie that you can sell to a mainstream audience and that you can get people to come out and see. I don't think people are really going to come out and see it, but at least it, it's made, it's out there, it's it's a, it's a thing that was created artistically and it, a lot of work was put into it to service the, the fact that it is you know, this weird, abstract, experimental art house movie, but also does these sci-fi horror tropes really well. And it never feels uh, too campy or, or too much of a rethread. It feels new, it feels refreshing, and it feels worthy of being recognized as one of the best sci-fi movies of maybe of all time. Whoa. See, I just I I don't think I, I really I, don't think I, would go that far. I really disagree that it's that experimental to be perfectly honest. Like I do think I that I mean the end is. The end is. Yes, yes, but 
taking out, I mean, not even taking out, but considering the 20 minutes as just 20 minutes of a two hour long film, I can't say that the movie as a whole is experimental because it does rely largely on sci-fi tropes and horror tropes. And And while I'm not saying that that makes it a terrible movie or anything, I can't say it's like, it's 2001. It's, I don't think that it's that level. I don't even think it's as like inventive as something like Arrival or something like that. Yeah, with I don't think that, it's as good as Arrival. Yeah, but like yeah. I just still think that I don't can't quite put it on that upper echelon of sci-fi. I do think the ending is incredible. Like I'm not going to deny that part. The ending was absolutely perfect. But I just can't praise it as a whole for a film for being this experimental journey not nearly as much as whenever i consider about what the movie could have been if it would have leaned all the way into that ambition yeah i for me personally i feel that everything that happens in the movie uh circles around the ending and it's almost like alex garland thought of the ending first and then devised a way for everything else that happens in the movie to work towards that ending because what would uh, Oscar Isaac says to that camera at the end, along with the whole dance sequence with the with the alien, all of that is supported by all of the other things that are set up in the movie. That wouldn't work without everything else that had been set up throughout the movie. So that's why it works for me. The movie sticks the landing. Absolutely. For me. Personally, I know that this movie isn't going to work for everyone, but I just appreciate it on a level. I I went into this movie. I wasn't expecting it to be this out there. I didn't think that it was going to be so artsy and experimental. So, and, it, and it really surprised that's, me. See, and that's, I honestly that's feel like I, I was too. expecting it to be more experimental than it actually was, which I mean, could be to my own detriment. Like I said, like this might be a movie I need to see multiple times. I know Ex Machina, I enjoyed it the first time I watched it, but it's you like a movie it more that, and more. Yeah, it's a movie I love, I love more and more as I watch it. And maybe I'll have the same thing with Annihilation. Um, I'm interested to know what would you guys just gut reactions. I know, Drew, you and I have both seen it once. You've seen it twice, Ernest. What would you give this movie out of 10? I mean, I would give it like an 8, but I'd give like every movie and like an 8. So <laughs> it, it doesn't really mean too much to me. I would very strongly recommend this movie if you're a fan of cinema. If you like going to the movies and seeing things on the big screen. I mean, I'll just say like we went to the screening and they made people turn their phones off. It was so, it's so and great. I wish that that was a requirement for yeah. every single screening of every movie because everybody's just transfixed by the horrific beautiful shit that this movie presents and that's the way movies should be you know a lot of people are going to be experiencing this on netflix overseas and sadly that's not the the appropriate most um uh intense effective way to experience this film so yeah for me it would sit honestly kind of close to where ex machina sits for me but in a very different way I think, like I said, I think Ex Machina is in like an 8.2 through and through for me. Like just the entire movie is steady for me. It just, you know, it works all the way. It never climbs to a height that Annihilation does for me. Annihilation for me is a 6 and then it's a 10. So when you combine it, you get right around the same area that yeah. I think. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think part of me likes Annihilation just a little bit better because you get at least you get some 10 like you do get some six which is not good but I've seen plenty of six well, objectively I would I would say the objective side of me says that Ex Machina is a better film. oh well it is but 
I would, I felt more with Annihilation. I would just yeah, I'd kind of rather watch Annihilation again. Yeah. I don't know. It I think it challenged me a little more. Ex Machina is a very straightforward movie for me. But to that point, like I feel like I I really want to see Annihilation again, but I want to see it in theaters. I'm not sure how much Annihilation how much weight it's going to have at home yeah. because how much it, uh, luckily, of your attention luckily i do grab. have a sound bar now so i will still have that booming score by salisbury and barrow yeah. to like just yeah, echo yeah. through there but i which also i've been listening to the score nonstop. the soundtrack is fantastic yeah, the little little guitar yeah yeah we were talking happens. about that earlier just like the it almost sounds like an alt j acoustic song it's like beautiful it's, it's really gorgeous um, Before we wrap up, uh, I just want to go around and say like some of your favorite little moments. I know mine was the one where they go to the swimming pool and they see the remains of that guy. Like, grown uh, I thought you were out. talking about "Call Me by Your Name" for a second. <laughs> <laughs> when yeah, that, they see the dead body, the, the dude that has been cut open and his remains have just been like grown out. Yeah, on the that wall was of that was really pool. really cool. I almost wanted to just pause that. And just stare at it for a little while, like like a painting. Yeah, that it was made me beautiful. It gave me. It also gave me a similar feeling to when they finally explore the uh, at the end of True Detective season one, like the bone yeah. castle with the bone thrown and all that stuff. Yeah, it gave me a very similar feel where it's like this is a very odd thing I'm looking at, and it makes me feel bad, even though I don't even know 100 percent what it is. But yeah. I can't stop staring. Yeah, at you it. just have to and look it was, at it. Yeah, it was beautiful. That was one of my favorite moments. Um, I can't say enough, obviously, about the lighthouse stuff, which is, I mean, that's just... It's unlike anything we've ever seen, really. The whole idea, because we even talk about this and the idea of what it means, I do kind of need to wrap this up because I have to get going to work, but um, the whole idea of while they're in the Shimmer, they come across Natalie Portman's house... And like what exactly that means? That's literally it's her like a house, copy, a yeah. co- like a copy of her house. And then outside we have all these like people, like uh, plant people that look like something that would be in like the royal gardens or something like that. Yeah, that was that was you know it's something that the flash forward adds adds to, which I actually got a lot out of that when she says that it's echoes and that things were like sort of echoing throughout and and you see these remains of these people as plants and then you step into her house i wish they would have explained that a little more yeah but just the fact that you just get that shot of her walking around a little mesmerized and confused as to why she's seeing her own house another moment i loved was uh whenever uh natalie portman goes looking for the missing crew member and she sees the two the twin stags I yeah. thought that was a really cool moment. Yeah, that was beautiful. Yeah, so that's Annihilation in theaters now. Please go see it. Support um, weird shit, weird shit, and, and and movies. If you like movies, go see it. Um, can't say enough about the cast: Natalie Portman, Oscar Isaac, all good. Uh, yeah, so let's wrap it up, guys. You can email the show at mic at gmail.com. Instagram at we bought a mic. Check us out on Facebook. Let us know what you thought of the film. Hopefully, you get a chance to see it. Yeah. Let us know what you thought of Call Me by Your Name or Darkest Hour. Yeah, Hunter, what's your shit so you can leave? Uh, mine. You can follow me on Twitter at Hunt Mobley. Letterboxed. Uh, Letterboxed too by the same username. I've been posting some reviews. I put up an annihilation review before everybody outside. Yeah. You think we're gonna get everything? You think we're gonna get an invite to another? Uh, I'm hoping screening? that we get another screener soon. I don't know when the next uh, big wrinkle movie in will time. Be. Maybe. Maybe that'd be kind of cool. I yeah. guess. Maybe I love seeing Oprah. Um, but yeah, dope. just uh, 
just uh, hit me up on there. Check out my reviews. Give them a like. Yeah, I uh, I'm at Caldernist on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxed. What about you, Drew? I'm at Drew Dietzen on Twitter. Letterboxd, I think I'm just Drew D. I really snuck in there early on that one. Ooh. And then uh, follow my Spotify, which is just my, it's hooked up to my Facebook, so Drew Dietzen. But yeah, I have a bunch of playlists that have been getting some good buzz among my condo. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. Next week, we'll have more thoughts on the Oscars for you. Bye. Bye.